Buckman meeting of November 19th. Please join me in the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Please note this meeting is being televised and uh, is available to watch um, on local cable and also on um, ECAT's uh, website, you can call up the meetings. So the first thing that we have is uh, swearing in of the fire captain and fire lieutenant. Oh no, that's 6.30. Um, the first thing is the Human Rights Committee Be the Light Project. You wanna come up, Amy? Sure. And just introduce yourself and tell us about the project. You can sit there. Hi. Hi, Amy. Hi. Thanks for having me. Um, my name is Amy Gershman. I'm a member of the Human Rights Committee. Um, our committee is hoping or planning um, another big public art installation, kind of like the Unity Project that we did at the NRT Harvest Fair um, a couple of fairs ago. Um, and we're, we have support from the Lions Club and Oak Ames Hall. The board um, is giving us space to use during the holiday festival in a couple of weeks. So all we need now is a little bit of money to build it. Um, I have a flyer, if anyone wants to know what it's about, um, a write-up that I did for the Lions Club and the library. They, they offered us space too, but it wasn't quite right. Um, some pictures and also um, an estimate from Fernandes Lumber, who they very graciously um, helped us out with the Unity Project too. So um, the gist of the project is that it's a a large display of light. Everyone can interact with it, um, write a good intention, put it on the board and light a candle to represent it. And when it's done, it'll just be a big um, kind of wall of, of light to represent unity within the community. Um, I think that the estimate is about $1,300. I would like to do it for less than that, but that's right now that's where the estimate is. Um, yeah, that's the gist of it. Any questions? Any questions? Uh, just one, one statement that um, I went on the website after, in preparation for tonight, and noticed that one of the, one of the quotes that's on there that I found was, was really positive is that it's a movement of people creating events and random acts of kindness to spread hope, love, and compassion. The group believes that mental health is just as important as physical health and that life without hope is not really living. Um, that tells you a little bit about the group that yeah, I didn't even say the people that created the Unity Project. It's the same organization that created this project. That's great. And it'll be at Oak Same, in front of Oak Same yep, Hall. Right on the second tier um, on the steps leading up, up okay. to the building. So hopefully we'll get a lot of public participation in that. That's the mm -hmm. hope. Excellent. Yeah, thank you, Amy, and to the group and to the team. I think the given what's going on in the world today and, and a lot of the negative things that we see in the news regularly, having items like this, especially in our local hometown, are so important and I appreciate all the work that you folks do. Uh, and I think this is a, a, certainly an awesome project. Thanks. Um, no Likewise. Thank you. Um, was there going to be a vote to fund this? Or? Uh, a vote is not required. Okay. Uh, the, the town, when accepting sto the Stonehill gift each year, sets aside about half of it for other uses to be determined. If, if a board would like to uh, share your consensus that we do so, then my office can handle it uh, administratively. Okay. Uh, I'd like, I, I think, think that's so. great use of the fund, the, some of the money from Stonehill. So 
uh, if the board is in agreement. Agreed, wholeheartedly. Great. Awesome. Perfect. And uh, good luck with the event. And thank you again uh, to you and the whole team awesome. for thank bringing this all. project. Thanks, Amy. Great. Amy, how can people learn more about it? Just in case. Um, we have your blessing, so we will try to do a blast of get the um, word out. Yeah, flyers, and we'll reach out to the town to do some posting on Facebook and um, town crier stuff like that. Awesome. Yeah. That's great. Thank you, Amy. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Okay, we have some one-day liquor licenses. Uh, first up is the Easton Lions Club. They have applied for a one-day beer and wine license for the 32nd Annual Easton Holiday Festival to be held on December 1st at Oak Sam's Memorial Hall, 3 Barrow Street in Easton from 12 p.m. to 11 p.m. A police detail is required for this event. Um, John, you want to come up and tell us? I would, I'd like to ask Eric Altieri from Shoveltown to join you. That's sure, right. absolutely. Frank, you know. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Just introduce yourself it. for the cameras at home and uh, tell us about the event. John Morgan, uh, Shagmark Road, Easton Lions Club. And we are here asking the board for permission for a one-day liquor license to sell beer and wine in conjunction with the holiday festival. This year's event is December 1st and 2nd. It's our 32nd annual holiday festival. And we'd like to continue uh, an offering that we had started last year in conjunction with the festival where our board approved a one-day liquor license for Shoveltown Brewery to have a beer garden that took place on the loge of the Oak Sings Memorial Hall. Of course, the Oak Sings Memorial Hall is the epicenter of the holiday festival, and we're asking for the same thing again this year. We are doing a dinner dance event at the hall again this year. Uh, we have a, a group coming in to play music from 7 till 11. And uh, our Lions Club is selling tickets to that. And so part of this request for the, the beer and wine license is to have Shoveltown Brewery uh, selling beer and wine, having their employees who are TIPS certified do the screening of, of participants who are buying beer and wine and help in the uh, security of that. And also police detail being requested in that. I've had an opportunity to talk with Officer Lydon about the security aspects of that. One of the things that we'd like to ask the board to extend their thoughts to this year is that we, during the uh, beer garden, which would be open only on Saturday from about noon till 5 or 5.30, to have the beer uh, purchaser uh, be equipped with a wristband that would identify them as a person approved to have that beer and wine and have them go down to the chuck wagon and be able to buy food, which is at the bottom of the stairs of the Oak Sands Memorial Hall. So basically within the perimeter of the area that the, the event will be taking place. Mm -hmm. We didn't specify that specifically last year, um, but this year we're asking for that. So you're going to ID the people and you'll provide the wristbands? Yes. Was that in the application explicitly? There wasn't room in the application okay. to include that. Sure. And I knew we'd have an opportunity after my conversation with Lori to present that here. Sure. So we'll just double check with the police chief uh, and follow up with this week because we know that uh, the event is obviously uh, very soon. Yeah, so. Thank you. And that, that would be taken up further as we delineate what the police officers on site will be doing, as well as the security team of the Lions who will be helping to, uh, to uh, marshal the areas. Is the wristband just so we can tell when people have left that area that they are of the right age to be drinking alcoholic beverages throughout the rest of the festival, essentially? That's correct. Understood. Yeah. Seems like a good idea to me because 
you know, it would be easy to, well, probably shouldn't give people ideas. But yeah. <laughs> well, we we want to make sure this to, is well policed. Yeah, it would be easy to get confused about who, who's eligible to drink or not, right? And is this just on the, on Oak Sames Hall property? It's Precisely. Not, okay. Yeah. We'll, so, we'll, we'll double check and follow up with you. So it would just encompass the loggia, the steps, the lands right in front of the Oak Sames Hall, which is essentially where the holiday festival activities are taking place. As, as you're aware, Connor, we have uh, permission from the board to close off Barrel Street Extension, Main Street down to the point of the Rockery. So that area encompasses where we're conducting the holiday festival activities. And that's the area that we're talking about for this overall event. And what's the weather going to be like on December 1st? Have you put in a good request? <laughs> Don't know, but we'll take any help we can get. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, would anybody have any other questions? Would somebody like to make a motion to, um, to uh, accept the request for the liquor license? So moved. Second. Second. All in favor? Unanimous. Great. So Good luck with the event. I just want to make sure it's clear that there's the, that that's for the, um, uh, the uh, one to five, but there's also the liquor license, I think, goes for the evening for the dinner dance also. Mm -hmm. And so that, that was, was described clear. in the application. It's from 12 p.m. Well, to 11 p.m. That's right. correct. Okay. So the first part is for the um, beer garden, and the second part is for the dinner dance event. So it's all contiguous, just mm -hmm. like we did last year. It's the yep. same, yeah. same thing. Right. And the dinner dance is taking place uh, inside, upstairs at the Oak Sames Hall. Okay. So that would be limited to that space, confined space itself. All right, great. Excellent. I just wanted to make sure that was clear. Sorry to help. Nope. Not at all. Appreciate it. At the last all right. Minute. Have another great event. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for chairing it again, John. You've done a great job. Thanks very much. Okay, next up is Simpson Spring. Um, I don't think anyone's here from Simpson Spring. Um, Simpson Spring, Shoveltown Brewery, and Black Hat Brew Works have applied for a one-day beer and wine liquor license for a holiday market at the spring event to be held December 8th at Simpson Springs, 719 Washington Street, Southeastern Mass, from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. A police detail is not required for this event. Did you want to speak to that one, too? Um, I, I, I know of the event. We're, we're involved with it, but I, I don't feel like I could speak for Dan or, or the, okay. the, the um, so No problem. Um, would somebody like to make a motion? So moved. Second. Second. All in favor? Unanimous. Chuck, Chuck seconded Tom first. Okay. And Stonehill College has applied for a one-day all-alcohol liquor license for a Brockton Public Schools holiday reception to be held on November 29th at the Martin Auditorium, 320 Washington Street, Easton Mass, from 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. An Easton Police Department detail is not required for this event. Would somebody like to make a motion to approve the liquor license? So moved. Second. Chuck and Tom, all in favor? Unanimous. Stonehill College has applied for a one-day beer and wine liquor license for an alumni gift wrap reception to be held on November 30th, 2018 at the Donahue Hall Garland Dining Room, 320 Washington Street, Easton, Mass., from 6.30 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. An Easton Police Department detail is not required at this time. Would somebody like to make a motion to approve the liquor license? So moved. Second. Craig, then Tom. All in favor? Unanimous. Great. All right. We have interviews um, for a vacancy on the Cultural Council. 
trying to catch up here. Um, the term expiration for this appointment is June 30th, 2020. So we have um, in the packet is the charge of the cultural council. And then we have a list of applicants. Um, I'm going to ju just take them in order that they are in the packet. I'm going to ask you to come up, just sit at that table, introduce yourself, just tell us a little bit about why you are interested in this position, and we'll ask some questions and uh, interview all three of you, and then we will talk through it and we'll make an appointment. Um, before anybody interviews, I just want to say that um, we're very thrilled when we get a lot of applicants for positions, but it's not the funnest part of the job to um, have to select one person when there's three people. So if somebody, whoever doesn't get chosen, we'd like to make sure that you know that there's lots of opportunities um, to help. And there's a cultural district um, that's a little bit different than the cultural council, and they're always looking for volunteers too. So um, that said, uh, if Emily wants to come up, you'll be first. Uh, good evening. Thank you for the opportunity to introduce myself. Uh, my name is Emily Wren. Um, I've been an Easton resident for almost four years now, um, which is significant because uh, up until this point, I've never lived in some place longer than three years. So I'm happy to now claim Easton as my hometown. Um, I became interested in this position. Um, I'm a graduate student at UMass Boston. Um, my degree will be in public administration with a focus in municipal management. Um, and we've talked a lot about ways to kind of get involved in local government. Um, and so this is one of the ways that I thought would be pretty interesting. Um, outside of my studies, uh, I'm an officer in the Massachusetts Army National Guard, um, where I fly Blackhawks out of Barnes uh, Air Force Base in Westfield. Um, even though the military world is fairly different from the civilian world, I think we would all agree, um, the National Guard is interesting to me because it's kind of a microcosm of all of the communities that we have in the state. Um, and so, you know, through my work in the National Guard as an officer, um, I've had a lot of experience both planning and supporting different uh, events for these soldiers um, kind of across the state um, and just in my unit as well. Um, and something that's really important to me about all of these events are the camaraderie that they form for our soldiers and for our units. Um, you know, the regular army gets to be with each other 24-7. Um, so they know each other's spouses, each other's kids, who has a sick grandparent. Um, and when they go abroad, that's really important to them. Um, and, you know, here in the National Guard, we um, don't have that. We don't get to spend 24-7 with each other. We have one week in a month and two weeks each summer. Um, so, you know, things like that we still need to have when we go overseas. Um, and so, uh, you know, having the experience with those events and seeing, you know, how we can bring together those microcosms of communities in the National Guard, um, I feel like is really relevant to this position as well. Um, and so I would just love the opportunity to be able to apply that experience to my newly claimed hometown of Easton as well. That's great. Well, Thanks. congratulations, and uh, thank you for choosing Easton to live. Absolutely, love it. <laughs> any questions from anyone on the board? Can you talk a little bit about the internship you had with the governor's office on of boards and commissions? 
Uh, yes, sir. So that was uh, during my undergraduate at Boston <coughs> University. Um, so I interned with the Boards and Commissions Office for uh, a summer um, and got to learn kind of how the Boards and Commissions of the state worked, uh, the appointees and the swearing-in ceremonies and all of that, um, kind of tracking the different applicants for each board. Um, that was basically what I did there. Thank you. Excellent. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. And the next uh, applicant is Douglas O'Rourke. Good evening. Uh, I'm Doug O'Rourke. Uh, I'm applying for a seat on the Eastern Cultural Council. And I want to say as well, it's, it's very nice. Uh, speaks a lot to the community that you have multiple, multiple applicants for the same board, so that's good. I'm happy to be one of those applicants. Um, I'm currently employed as creative director for a company called CF Data Systems. It's a Massachusetts-based software company that develops accounting software for very large contractors and construction companies. Uh, we've been in business for about 40 years. I've headed up their creative department for the past eight years. Uh, basically oversee their digital and print marketing efforts, uh, the visual development of the software, uh, the format layout content of all their printed materials, visual, instructional materials, workbooks, uh, learning materials. Um, I am a relatively new resident to the town of Easton. Before that, I lived in Plymouth, Massachusetts, and I spent a good part of my life very actively involved and engaged in the artistic and cultural community in Plymouth. Um, aside from being a local musician who actually played in and organized benefits and arts and cultural events uh, for different charities and community events. Um, I was also a creative writer. I've been published in a number of local uh, arts magazines, arts publications, uh, in the local newspapers, and I actually wrote a, up until recently, a weekly column uh, for the past 10 years for the local newspaper, the Old Cullen Memorial in Plymouth. Um, and um, as far as civic experience, I am a former member of the Plymouth Cultural Council, which is also under the umbrella of the Massachusetts Cultural Council. Um, now, I've read the charge of the Eastern Cultural Council. As, um, it's basically the same as the Plymouth, where Massachusetts provides grant funding for uh, the local cultural council to award uh, to applicants in the local community. I'm very familiar with the guidelines and the process of the grant monies that come from the state of Massachusetts each year. I'm familiar with the application process, uh, not just reviewing the applic applications, but also reaching out to local <coughs> artists and venues that might not be aware that the Cultural Council uh, grant funding exists. Um, so I've reviewed applications, I've weighed them based on merit and need, and uh, have awarded grants to local artists and venues. So I'm familiar with that process. I'm also processed with, uh, and familiar with the rules that govern that process, including the open meeting law, the conflict of interest law, the ethics laws. Um, in addition to the, um, the grant funding, which, which is the main charge of the, of the council, I also have a lot of experience supplementing the funding that Massachusetts provides each community. As you know, that can vary year to year. Um, some years when, it, when, it's, when it's less than others. Um, you want to have something in your account to be able to supplement that, and it also helps a local artist, helps your community. Uh, some uh, examples of things I've been involved with is in the town of Plymouth, we commissioned a local artist to erect an immigrant statue in the downtown waterfront area, and around that statue we had engraved cobblestones, 
We sold those for $100 each, and I think we sold well over 1,000 of them. And the proceeds from that was used to supplement the money that was provided by the state. Uh, in addition to that, we would put on an annual fundraising event. Uh, uh, one year it was a mystery dinner theater where we, uh, we organized that, put that on, uh, and the proceeds were used to supplement our grant funding. Uh, another thing that we did was we brought awareness to the fact that we existed and that we were promoting, promoting local artists, and we put on an annual award show. And what that would do is recognize um, and, and present an award to local artists uh, that contributed to the community. It also brought in local leaders to the event, made them aware of what we were doing. Uh, we also would use that as a catalyst to bring in the local business community. Um, in addition to that, I worked with some members on the Cultural Council. And we worked with, and I, I heard somebody mention it earlier in regards to something else, but we worked with the local uh, community preservation committee um, and we helped identify as part of their effort to identify historic uh, properties to buy and refurbish as part of the CPC funding we would help them identify properties that would be of significance in the community for arts and culture uh, a couple of examples of what we worked with the CPC and encouraged them to do was the town of Plymouth built a new library. They left their old library empty on the waterfront. Um, we encouraged the CPC um, and, and we helped their efforts uh, to acquire that building and that was turned into a, a center for the arts. There was another building in the downtown Plymouth that was an old church. Uh, they acquired that property and they turned it into a performing arts center. Not only did they acquire it and turn it into a performing arts center, but we also worked with them to identify ways to generate an income so that property was not just something that was purchased with CPC, PC, sorry, CPC funding by the taxpayers, um, but it was also self, um, it was also able to support itself through the money that it raised through performances and events. It's able to support itself so it's not a drain onto the taxpayers. So we look, not only did we help them identify properties to purchase and repurpose, but also identified ways to help them with the funding so that they were self-supporting. Um, we took that a step further. I heard somebody mention that there's a cultural district in Easton. Um, when I was on the Cultural Council in Plymouth, we didn't have a cultural district. Uh, we took these properties, drew a line around them, and also encompassed uh, some other artistic and cultural properties in the area, and we created a Plymouth Bay Cultural District, um, and a committee was formed around that, and we used that to promote arts and cultural events in the area. We reached out to the local Chamber of Commerce. We got them involved with that. That way, if you bring folks in to visit your arts and cultural centers, you'll also help support the local businesses. Um, and then we reached out to the Visitors Bureau, and we, we worked with them to use that as a promotional tool to bring even more visitors to the town of Plymouth. Um, these are some things, some experience that I have that I hope to bring to the town of Easton. Um, we, we also did things like we had um, the Chamber of Commerce funded it. We had them put up artsy little bike racks all around Plymouth. And then people would ask what it was, and they'd see the little placard that identified it as the cultural area. Uh, we had different statues of lobsters uh, planted all around uh, the downtown Plymouth area, and each one was uh, commissioned by a local artist to be decorated. Each one was different, and people would participate in a lobster crawl. And as they did, they would support local businesses and also support the arts and culture in the community. Um, in addition to my time on the Cultural Council, I was also chairman of, um, uh, for three years, I was chairman of a 
black tie fundraising dinner. And what we did is we raised money for July 4 Plymouth Incorporated, which is a 501c3 uh, corporation in Plymouth that provides all the funding for the parade and fireworks in Plymouth. Um, and I also co-chair um, a dinner in Plymouth that's put on Plymouth Plantation each year in conjunction with the Plymouth Masonic Lodge. And we raise money for the Plymouth Philharmonic Orchestra, uh, which is also a 501c3 charity that provides educational outreach as well as Philharmonic performances for the town of Plymouth. Um, additional civics experience I have is I've been vice chairman of the Plymouth Open Space Committee. I was vice chair of the Plymouth Charter Review Committee. I was secretary for the Plymouth Nuclear Matters Committee. I co-authored the Town of Plymouth's Town Meeting Handbook, which was basically a book that residents could download or print that told them how the town government works, get them involved in local government. I was a member of the Capital Outlay and Expenditure Committee. I served three terms as an elected town meeting rep, something a little different than I think Easton has, but it's kind of like being a neighborhood congressman. And um, I also served a term on the Zoning Board of Appeals. I was the secretary for Plymouth's 400th anniversary uh, celebration committee and uh, past master and lodge ambassador for Plymouth Masonic Lodge. And I was cadet commander um, in my high school years for the Civil Air Patrol, which is how I got started in the first place. I always like to mention that because that was my first taste of uh, civic and community engagement. So thank you. Very good. Thank you, Doug. We appreciate it. Thank Any you. questions? No, very comprehensive. How long has Plymouth had a, a cultural district? The cultural, I'm not sure the official date that we instituted it. I joined the Cultural Commission in 2000, uh, sorry, the Cultural Council in 2008, and that's when we were first batting around the idea. It's also the time we were first planting the seeds for the CPC to buy those properties and convert sure. them. Uh, so the efforts started around 2008. I'd like to say maybe 2011 it became official. So the Cultural Council, uh, just for people to know, is that um, they really just, um, not just, but they evaluate applications that um, local artists submit and they prioritize it and they decide how much funding to give and to, you know so forth. The Cultural District is different. Easton has one. It's very, very hard to get um, accepted by the MCC for those cultural districts. And that's headed up by a woman um, named Carolyn Cole. And she does a lot of separate things that are m along the lines of what you're talking about. So um, I, th I think that that's very interesting um, that you have experience with both of those. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, Doug. Thank you. Thank you. And next is um, Pantea Sanati. Good evening. Hello. Hi. Thank you for this opportunity. Um, you guys are great. I just wanted to almost walk out. <laughs> You're highly qualified. Um, my name is Pantea Sanadi. I'm almost new to the area, to the, to the state. Um, I moved here from California. Don't ask why. <laughs> but, um, but I love Easton. I recently even thought about moving, but I can't. I really like it. I think it's a... Um, it's a very um, unique town, both demographically and geographically. I love the art. I love the H.H. H. Richardson, you know, architecture. Um, and so I started to get a little bit involved in my town. Also, I'm growing roots. Um, so I was involved with the uh, think tank um, from the library. 
Um, yeah, so I do some little projects, just they're just sort of the labor of love. It's not my um, what I do during the day, but I've had several art shows since I've been here. I had art exhibits in the um, Balboa Parks um, Historic District in San Diego as part of the San Diego Art Institute. Um, but since I've been here, I've had a few shows at the Sharon Library, Watertown, um, and even in the Ames Free Library. And I like to attend all their events too. And so my extra and my extracurricular time, I um, paint. Um, I also volunteer to teach creative writing because I'm a published author. I teach creative writing to um, senior citizens or after sort of uh, um, um, different programs that run at different colleges. And I'd like to get involved with everything that the Ames Free Library has to offer, all the fun activities. I went to a, a sort of a cookout they had. It was a, um, you know, last summer, so I had a lot of fun. And I thought, you know, through my extensive travel, I've been exposed to a lot of different cultures. And so I would love to be an ambassador to bring some of that to the little town of Easton because it has a lot of potential. So. Mm -hmm. That's great. Thank awesome. you very much. Have you been to the um, art gallery that is across the street from the library, the little building that's on the property of the Shovel Works? There's no. A, there's a small art gallery right across the street from it. Um, the library? Mm -hmm. And they no. have um, artists exhibit there, so you may want to check that out I too. I thought I think that was an architectural. Like I thought it was a business. I never thought I was allowed to go because the building intrigues me, but I've never. The, the stone building? Are you talking about? This is like a little cape, and it's only cape open house, on uh, uh, Saturdays mm -hmm. and oh, okay. Sundays. Sundays. Yeah. I would love to go. Keep yeah. an eye I've open been, for that. Yeah. I've been to Cuyasset House and done activities there, and yeah. And it took me a long time to say that word, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> from San Diego, so I'm learning all kinds of new colloquialisms. Love it. No, any questions? I don't. All right. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, can, Connor, should we do the deliberation now, or should we go into the... Uh, I would, well, yeah. 6.30, you don't have to start 6.30 just yet. I would probably recommend deliberate, make the cultural council okay. appointments, and then uh, firefighters swearing in, and then tax classification's probably not what the crowd of happy people is for. So okay. we'll do that last. All right, so uh, we've got three awesome candidates um, and a very tough decision to make. Agreed. Um, first of all, I think in any given day, any of these three candidates could certainly add a tremendous amount of value to uh, the Cultural Council and applaud everybody for coming in. And as Dottie said earlier, please continue to stay involved in the town and find ways to engage. Um, for me, in listening to all of it, uh, one, of the, one of the candidates really rose to the top, um, and that was Doug, uh, Mr. O'Rourke. I thought that um, just given the breadth of his experience and his exposure and his activities uh, with Plymouth, um, that it could lead to some instant traction for the council here in town. Um, and I was just impressed by all of the, uh, for all of the candidates, all of the things that they brought to the table. But I thought uh, Doug's past experience really spoke to what he might be able to bring to the town of Easton and to this council specifically. That's um, what kind of what I gleaned from the candidates. I agree. I, I think that, that they were all, they all had very specific qualities which would fit in so well with this particular committee. And I encourage the two that aren't chosen to continue on and uh, maybe work, maybe reach out to the committee and 
and, and deal with them in some way, learn from them and help them. Um, if there are any openings in the future, please, uh, not only that committee, but for others. We constantly need qualified people like yourselves, and I appreciate all three of you. I, I did find with, with Doug, as, as Tom said, there was a certain breadth, breadth to his, his experience in Plymouth, that, and also a, a confluence of his uh, numerical skills and the music that I think is, would be uh, an especially good quality for the committee. I agree with my colleagues that um, um, although I would love to have all three of you on the, mm -hmm. on the, on the Cultural Council, um, um, my, my preference would be to go with Doug uh, based on his, his experience. I'm in, I'm in agreement with you guys. Okay, and uh, it's worth noting that this term expires June 30th, 2020, and there are going to be four seats that are coming up. Uh, in 2019, in June of 2019, so um, keep an eye on that as well. Um, if somebody would like to make a motion. I'll make a motion uh, to appoint uh, Mr. Douglas O'Rourke to said position expiring in 2020. And a second. So Tom, uh, Tom made the motion, Chuck seconded, all in favor? It's a roll call. It's a roll call. That's right, roll call vote. King O'Rourke. Broussard O'Rourke. Roger O'Rourke. Fulginetti O'Rourke. Mills O'Rourke. And to the other two candidates, um, I will be in touch with you because I think that there might be some opportunity with the cultural district. And um, I think that that will be something that you'd like based on what I heard about from your experience. So, mm -hmm. all right. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming out. It's Thanks not for coming always out. easy. Yep. Thank you. Okay. Uh, we do have. Um, a public hearing at 6.30, but before we do that, we're gonna do the firefighters swearing in, so if we wanna go back to that. Um, the board was recently notified of the promotion of Lieutenant Kyle Rondeau to captain. Due to the promotion of Captain Rondeau, firefighter John McCormick was recently promoted to lieutenant, filling that position. So, Chief, if you'd uh, like to... Okay. You don't mind giving me a minute? Sorry. Get as many, I don't know, if your wives want to come in and some of the folks can have a seat in there. There's quite a crowd out there. <laughs> come in. There's plenty of room. Plenty of room. Don't be shy, you guys can move to the back so we can fit some other people in if you'd like. more out there. Is there more? You guys can come in. You guys can come in if you want. If they're my guys, they're shy. So. <laughs> I thought they were all here for the tax hearing. <laughs> uh, good evening. Good evening to the board and town administrator and assistant town administrator. Thank you once again for allowing us this opportunity to swear in our new officers. Uh, I am honored to be able uh, to introduce two new officers on the department. Um, first will be um, Kyle Riendo, who's getting promoted to the rank of captain, and 
John McCormick to the rank of lieutenant. So I'd, I, at this time, I'd like to ask Kyle Endo to step forward. Kyle has been a member of the department since July 24th of 2012. Kyle became a lieutenant in July of 2016. Um, Kyle has completed his will complete his master's degree in January at Waldorf University uh, in organizational leadership and fire and rescue executive leadership. Captain Riendo has been assigned as the captain of Group 2 on the department. He also serves as our assistant training officer on the department uh, and handles all our radio equipment. Um, he is certified as a fire officer one and two, a fire instructor one, and fire inspector certification. Um, Kyle's wife, Liz, has joined us, and she will do the, uh, the pinning of his badge. And at this time, I would like to ask town clerk, Danielle Scott, to deliver the oath of office. Raise your right hand and repeat after me. I state your full name. I, Kyle Riendo. Do solemnly swear and affirm. Do solemnly swear and affirm. That I will faithfully and impartially. That I will faithfully and impartially. Discharge and perform. Discharge and perform. All the duties incumbent upon me. All the duties incumbent upon me. As a captain in the fire department. As a captain in the fire department, on the fire department. In the town of Easton. In the town of Easton. And to do so in accordance with the bylaws. And to do so in accordance with the bylaws. Of the town of Easton. Of the town of Easton. In the laws of the Commonwealth. In the laws of the Commonwealth. Of Massachusetts. Of Massachusetts. So help me God. So help me God. Congratulations. Thank you. I did also want to share, uh, and I did last time with the board, the significance of the, these emblems that we wear on our uniforms. Um, if you look close to any of the fire officers, they're, they're called speaking trumpets, and they're pinned to our uniform. Um, the more bugles you have, the higher in rank you are, the more authority you have. Uh, the tradition goes back through the centuries of the fire service, and yet today personnel continue to cherish and hold on to this tradition. The pinning of a badge concludes every promotional ceremony, as we saw. Uh, it's unique in the fire service, a tradition uh, in the fire service. Duty, pride, and tradition are important principles to pass along to each generation of our firefighters. Officers wear insignias on their uniform to indicate their rank or position. Uh, the insignias in their meaning are universal to firefighters. So if we go to any communities, they understand what they mean. Um, but usually the public doesn't know. So I wanted to share that, um, especially with their families. Uh, the history of these insignias can be traced back to early American fire service when speaking trumpets were, um, and bugles were used to communicate on the fire ground by the officers. Uh, the bugles were worn around the officer's neck so they could direct firefighting operations. Uh, therefore, the officers were easily identifiable. At this time, I'd like to ask um, John McCormick to step forward. John has been a member of the department since January 13, 2014. Uh, Lieutenant McCormick has his Fire Officer 1 certification 
and has enrolled in and is enrolled in Waldorf University uh, working on a degree in fire science administration. He also has a degree and uh, a Bachelor of Arts degree from Curry College. Uh, Lieutenant McCormick has been assigned as the lieutenant on group three on the department. His wife Angie has joined us and she will be pinning his badge on. I'd like to ask Danielle to deliver the oath of office. I, State Chairman, John Clark, do solemnly swear and affirm. Do solemnly swear and affirm that I will faithfully. And go ahead. Sorry. That I will faithfully and impartially and impartially discharge and perform. Discharge and perform all the duties incumbent upon me. All the duties incumbent upon me as a lieutenant. As a lieutenant in the fire department. In the fire department for the town of East. And to do so in accordance. And to do so in accordance with the bylaws, with the bylaws of the town of Easton, of the town of Easton, and the laws of the Commonwealth, and the laws of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Of Massachusetts. So help me God. So help me God. Congratulations. Say thank you once again for allowing us to do this, and happy Thanksgiving to you all. Chief, can we get a picture of the sure. three of you, and uh, we'll put it on our Facebook page and send you a copy. Thank you. Congratulations. Uh, just take a two-minute recess while we wait for the room to clear.
um, Craig is going to read a public notice. In accordance with Chapter 40, Section 56 of the General Laws, the Eastern Board of Selectmen will hold a public hearing at 6.30 p.m. on Monday, November 19, 2018 at the Colleen A. Corona Boardroom, Eastern Town Offices, 136 Elm Street, Northeastern Mass. The hearing will include a brief presentation on the issue of allocating the local property tax levy among the five property classes for the next fiscal year. Interested taxpayers will have the opportunity to present either oral or written information on their views. Those wishing further information may contact the Selectman's office. Okay. Rob, would you like to tell us a little bit about this? I will. Good evening. I'm Robbie Alford, the Chief Assessor. In the room tonight are the three assessors, Michael McKenna, Raymond Morell, and Scott Timilty. I'll read the letter first, if sure. that's all right. Um, single family values for fiscal year 2019 increased by uh, 4%. Condos increased by 7%. Two family homes and three family homes increased by 5%. Assessed values have been adjusted to reflect market value as of January 1st, 2018, now based on the sales activity in calendar year 2017. The overall value of the town increased by $167.6 million. The formula for setting the tax rate is the amount to be raised divided by the valuation base times 1,000. The amount that the town is allowed to raise under Prop 2.5 is the constant in the formula. If values are high, the rate is proportionately lower, and if values are lower, the rate is proportionately higher. The town must raise the amount voted by town meeting regardless of whether values rise or fall. Uh, the classification recommendation. The commercial, industrial, personal property percentage has decreased slightly from last year. It is the recommendation of the Board of Assessors to remain with a single tax rate and not to adopt either the residential or small commercial exemption. Uh, residential exemption, basically, uh, those are usually towns that uh, have a lot of uh, summer homes, so they they give a break to the people that are residents year-round. The commercial exemption, one of the hardest things for the commercial exemptions is, especially where you have uh, strip malls and stuff, the owner would get the <coughs> exemption, and it doesn't always help the small business. It doesn't always flow down to the small business. Um, Growth was certified this year at $865,141. We got that certified this afternoon. Um, the single family average value is 450000 That went up from 429700 The tax bill will go up. With the CPA, about $223, $224 for the average of the 450000 value. Of course, if your house is valued more, it'll go up So that's higher. per year? That's per is? year. Okay. Condos went up uh, 7%. The average uh, value went from 205800 to 221000 uh, seeing an average tax bill increase of just under $198. Uh, two and three families went up 
on average 5%. They went from, two families went from 383.9 to 406.9, and three families went from 371.9 to 391.300. Uh, the spreadsheet I just gave you tonight, uh, that shows what would happen in the shift. Uh, the top line, um, where the one is, that's keeping it at the same rate. Uh, and then it's 5% down. So if it went, if it shifted 5%, it would go from, uh, go down to 1585 for residential and increase the commercial, industrial, personal property to 1676 which is an 80 cent increase. If the split was uh, 10%, it would go down to 15.74 for residential, but it would increase by $1.60 for commercial. Uh, the largest split that we can do is a 1.5% shift. That would decrease the tax rate to 14.85, but bring the CIP, commercial industrial personal property, to 23.94, which would basically be an $8 increase from what the single rate is. So we are not voting on the tax rate tonight, to be clear. We're voting on the tax shift. Correct. And um, we've always had the same tax rate for the commercial industrial um, as the residential because most communities, if their commercial and industrial is um, less than 20%, that's usually not worthwhile to make the shift. So are we still at around 10%? Uh, we're around 12, but okay. it's gone down each of the three years. It was uh, around 13% for the commercial industrial personal property back in 2017, uh, and it's currently at like 12.18% now. Um, one question I know some people have is, you know, why did residential go up so much and why didn't commercial go up? Uh, a lot of people see the Avalon apartments. Well, the Avalon apartments or any apartment building actually falls in with residential. So it's not commercial. A lot of people think that that's commercial, but it's not considered commercial um, by state use code. It's considered residential. So then so by that theory, if, that you're, if you're dividing up all of the amounts by the number of um, parcels or units, um, that helps, right? That does, does, that, sorry, does that help keep the tax rate lower the, the, more, the more properties there are? As the values increase, um, that usually brings the tax rate down. Okay. There was also a decrease this year on the um, deficit uh, not deficit, I'm sorry, of the um, debt exclusion, which brings it down a little bit also. Okay. Um, I, was I had something Wait, I was that, That's say. related to, I believe, one a, a former MSBA project, was it? Richardson Olmstead's yes. MSBA project was a debt exclusion override, but final payment has been made, so that that proportional debt service payment in the levy is no longer to be raised, right? Correct. So that plus property values increasing between right. four and seven percent results in even if your tax bill is going up a little into the next year, that's being driven by your property value. The tax rate's actually going down right. twenty five cents. Uh, twenty five cents. Okay. How, how do our property value increases stack up with the state? Do you look at that at all? Uh, I, I, I do. Um, 
we haven't gone up. Uh, I shouldn't say that. As far as uh, a lot of people hear about the Case Schillinger um, index and that, uh, I find the, they're higher than we are as far as increases. Um, we've been pretty steady. Even uh, in the downturn of the market, we didn't have the huge um, decreases like some communities have. We're pretty steady on our increases, whether it's going up or decreases going down. Well, that's good. So, yeah. So, um, anybody have any other questions? Okay. All right, I'd like to make a motion to set the tax shift to one. Second that. All, any questions? All in favor? Unanimous. All right. Thank and you. then the only other thing is this year it's different. Usually I have the form for you to sign. This year the Bureau of Accounts has said that everyone's got to go on and check the box themselves. So I'm sorry. I usually check it off and get your signatures, but this year you have to go on and check it <coughs> off. Like we'll have we're going to do that on up for you afterwards. Yep, yep. Okay. So Great. Thank, you. Thank, you thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to the assessors for coming in. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Nice to see you all. Next up is um, a departmental update for veteran services. for having me here tonight. Um, happy to be here to give an update of some of the things that have been going on since uh, we last met here and I uh, had my interview back in March. So, um, you know, I'm really excited about some of the things that, that I've been doing and, and happy uh, to share it with you all. So, and just for the people at home, do you want to say your name and title? Yes. Uh, my name is Corey Ahonen and I'm the Veteran Service Officer. Great. Thank you. So, um, you know, first I'd like to mention just about Chapter 115, which is the uh, the monetary benefit that is administered by the towns and reimbursed by the state at uh, 75%. And, um, you know, that's for qualifying veterans uh, who meet asset and income limits and requirements. So the total recipients that we have right now is 39. That number is down from 47, which is what we started with in early 2018. Um, you know, and at first glance, that might seem like a bad thing or... Um, a lot of times to the to the state Department of Veterans Services, that's that's not a good thing. But um, in reality, it actually is a good thing uh, in most cases. Some have you know gone on and gotten jobs and are no longer qualified. Some have gained uh, you know moved into different towns. Some that were underemployed or, or seeking shelter, having issues there, have have moved to other towns and maybe they're receiving those benefits in other towns. So uh, not necessarily a bad thing when you see the number go down. Um, we've had zero disallowances since April 2018. That's just mainly due to just um, you know being on top of the money going out and um, versus the money that we're reporting to the state. So we're consistently getting back our 75% from DVS on on all counts. So um, 
and uh, you know that also is is in part uh, you know big thanks to uh, Lisa O'Hearn who is handling the uh, medical reimbursements under under my office as well. Um, in July, I had made a decision to hand deliver the checks, which I didn't realize how much of an undertaking that was going to be at first, but I, I knew I wanted to do that. So that was a busy two days of uh, knocking around on doors, and you know I, I made sure I. I um, put out in writing a notice that I was going to be doing that and got permission to, to come do that and, and made it clear that I was there to deliver the checks and, and that, was, that was basically it. I'm not there to determine eligibility or sneak up on anybody, things like that. So I, I think that was a good, a good way for me to introduce myself first and foremost and then also <coughs> a, an informal kind of if anybody had any concerns or issues they didn't feel like bringing up in in the office setting or, or to town hall things like that it was it was a nice way to just show that I'm available and, and get that high visibility that that I was going for um, so that was good and I, I did that along with Kathleen Gouveia the outreach coordinator and she was able to bring up some things um, we're getting into the uh, uh, season where we're, we're looking for resources to help with heating costs and things like that so she was able to bring up some of the community resources that she offers through her work as well, um, you know, and, and all the things I've I've talked about so far, it's it's led to a good working relationship with DVS, uh, the Department of Veteran Services. I have the ability to call a number of people in their chain of command and, and really kind of get things done when when I need to get a quick answer on something, and and that's due to taking the time to build those relationships and and being present at you know we have our conferences that we go to and and just you know building those relationships and d doing the thing there so. Um, also have satisfied several retroactive benefit situations. There were a handful that just were in need of, of some extra attention. And at this time, all 39 applicants are in, are in good standing. And, and as far as I know, they're satisfied. So um, that's great. VA claims are uh, another big, you know, that's perfect segue into our numbers reducing, right? So when uh, an applicant comes to me on chapter 115 and, and uh, you know the first questions we're asking are what are their income what are their assets if i notice they don't have any income from sources such as a va disability claim and, and their service lines up and they have uh, reportable disabilities that you know it would make sense for them to file for the claim we file the claim um, since i've started in march we've filed 53 disability claims um, and you know 40 of those claims have come back approved for in an appeal process again that's not necessarily a negative thing it just it's a you know it's a hearing and appeal process that you know they may get awarded the claim or it may not have been a legitimate claim um, but my job in that process is to help them prepare the claim and submit it the VA is the one that makes the decision there so and we have nine that are awaiting decisions so it's a busy um, a busy thing going on there with the claims at least um, I, I think when a new person comes in the office it's Maybe if someone didn't get the answer they wanted before, they'll come back and, and try to resubmit the claim. So I'm glad to do that with anybody. And um, But then the, also on the flip side, there are those who they think it's not for them, and, and it certainly is uh, for anybody who, who's earned and deserves it. So um, also, uh, yeah, so and again, I know as uh, Kristen, Kristen had mentioned uh, in meetings before that you know, lowering the overall budget for Chapter 115. Again, just to reiterate, that does not necessarily mean there's less benefits or less veterans. It's just a, we're dispersing the sources of, you know, we're, we're spreading, sharing the wealth a little bit with the sources. We have, you know, there's local nonprofits that provide a lot of the services that we can get through Chapter 115. 
Um, and you know, chapter 115 is very inclusive and it covers emergency shelter repairs um, and you know, medical, dental, a lot of the things that, that we're seeing, but there are also nonprofits and local agencies that help with those things as well. Um, Salvation Army being a big one you know, that I can reach out to for fuel to help fill a, a, a fuel tank uh, in a home but I could also get that from Chapter 115. So just kind of knowing when and where to use those, best utilize the resources and, and make use, you know, share the wealth. <laughs> um, which brings to the Easton Veterans Discretionary Fund and gift cards. So the total balance is a healthy $13,713.71. That does not include all gift cards. So we also, I'll get to in a minute, but the Langwater Farm uh, gift cards, that's $1,000 each year that's given uh, as part of an agreement with the town. So that's not included in that balance. But um, out of the funds dispersed, about 12, it was $1,200, and that's to 33 individuals. That includes, you know, there, there were some larger disbursements in there, um, upwards of the $200 mark. There were a couple of those, but mo for the most part, it's $25 to $50 gift cards for Shaw's, um, Roach Brothers, local you know, putting groceries in, in the fridge and, and food on the table, situations like that. Um, and then donations received, uh, you'll notice it's about, you know, close to half that amount, $550 from three donors. So it's a, it's a pretty, good, pretty good give and take there. I've noticed um, a few of the veterans that I've given funds to, they've come back and returned the money, you know. So when they're in the position to give it back, they... They do so, and you know, one gentleman I gave him gift cards because his his disability, or I'm sorry, his retirement. There was a lapse in, in when his retirement pay was going to kick in, and, and I, of course, no problem. I'm able to give him the gift cards, and I have them right there in my desk drawer. And um, you know, he thanked me, and and he came right back with a $50 bill. You know, it's not like you know he basically came back to repay the gift cards with cash, and that cash goes back into the to the discretionary fund. So. You know, that, that to me is a reminder that the money's going to the right people. You know, it's, it's not uh, being misused or, or being, I'm not, nobody's trying to come to me and, and pull the wool over my eyes or anything. It's, it's honest people that just need a hand. So, sure. um, so it's a good thing. Uh, again, the Langwater Farms gift cards, $1,000 that's given out. That was something I, I made good use of uh, dispersing during my July check visits. So. I would speak with people, and if they demonstrated a need, they would get the cards. I have a, a policy that I developed. It's about five um, order of precedence, right? So a single family with children was number one, and it goes all the way down to the, the six. Uh, number six was a general veteran uh, or service prior service member. So that would include, um, you know, basically anybody who served in the military. At the end of that, so all those cards have been dispersed, and they've been used pretty well. So. And I track the use through Langwater Farms. They're pretty good about getting me the balances through that. Uh, in April, so when I, you know, a month on the job, I was called by the Festival of Trees, and they wanted to meet with me. And uh, so I went and met them at Panera Bread in Brockton, and we discussed what I do. And I gave them a quick rundown of, you know, some of the things that, that I do in my office and um, what I looked forward to doing in the future. You know, I was still very new to the job. but. Um, they decided to name me a, my office a beneficiary to their fundraiser this year. So in the spring, I'll be, you know, I, I, however they divide that up, I believe there's six beneficiaries, and I, I think it's a pretty generous donation. So grateful to be receiving that. And, um, you know, during that meeting, they, 
they asked me, you know, specifically, they were very interested in the discretionary fund, but they were more interested in what type of programming and things going forward would be doing. They, they didn't really want the money to, to sit, so they, they had mentioned that, but they, they did like the discretionary fund um, and the things that we were doing there to support our veterans. So, and you know, the discretionary fund is, again, I use that, again, that's about knowing when and where to use the resources, right? So this is to fill the gaps of those who don't have Chapter 115 because the, you know, the limits there are, we have uh, for a single individual an income of $2,023, must not exceed that, with assets of $5,000. Um, you know, there are some people who are just above those limits and they do need that assistance still, so this is a great way to, to get around that and not all communities have a discretionary fund for their veterans, so I think it's something nice that we're doing. Um, another thing I was really excited about is this VA work study program. This was something that I participated in when I was working um, in my last job, and I, you know, was glad to to bring that over here, and um, you know, with support of uh, you know Kristen and Connor and everybody, um, you know, I've, I have a work study who works in my office. His name's Jake. I think most of you have met him. Um, you know, he comes along, and um, you know, so so gaining my office as a an approved work study site, it um, it was a pretty simple process but you know they, they just want to make sure we're doing the right thing and and we are focusing our efforts and having him do you know duties that are strictly helping veterans is really all it comes down to and and they pay him minimum wage tax-free um, up to you know 20 25 hours a week and I have spots for multiple work studies I don't have enough work for multiple work studies but it's nice to know that you know the that availability is there if if I need it um, so, yeah, just the requirements of that. I mean, he must be a, you know, a three-quarter time student, so he's got to be a full-time student or three-quarter time using veterans' education benefits. Now, this could also include a dependent of a veteran who's using those benefits, too. So, you know, I kind of, the way I went, I, I did some outreach and networking with local schools. So I did, you know, Stonehill, Bridgewater State University, Massasoit, um, even Bristol Community College, and I let them know that I had the availability in the office. and if their certifying official could let me know if they had anyone interested and um, I didn't receive any anything back from those but but Jake had come into my office for services in, in the town and and he told me he was a, a graduate student at UMass Boston and we mentioned it and and have gone forward and, and it's been a good thing he's um, you know he's developed this uh, the Easton Reveille with you know I give him a lot of credit on this and uh, I think everyone here has probably seen this and I know there was a stack out front and the stack's gone. I just gave away the last copy, so that's a good thing. Um, that's a good sign. But and Corey, that's a, like a quarterly newsletter. Yeah. So you know, I, I don't quite have uh, the content for a monthly newsletter, and and I think you know I don't want to inundate people with mailings and things like that. I feel like people tend to shut off after getting so much, but um, I think probably quarterly will be the way the way to go for that. Great. So. I think that's great. I think you did a really nice job designing it, yeah. um, and I think it will give people th something to look forward to for the next quarter because some yep. really nice news Thank in you. there. Yeah, definitely. And I, I got a lot of good feedback on that, and it's a good way. I mean, you know, on, just on um, on Veterans Day, we had new legislation passed with the Brave Act, and and I noticed, you know, just going to VFW and Legion meetings, which I've made a point to do quarterly. None of them, they, they don't usually get the legislative updates or they don't, they're not aware of a lot of the updates going, you know, going on. So I've made a point to make that a part of what I'm doing as well. Um, and I believe it's a, it's a core part of the, the job. So it needs to right. be happening. Um, 
But yeah, so that's that's been working out great. Um, some of the patriotic events that have been going on. So Memorial Day, that was my, uh, it was nice. It was my first Memorial Day as, as a resident and VSO in the town. So it was very good. Um, you know, it gave me a good opportunity to work with the VFW and the Legion closely and, and get to know, you know, the commanders there and how they like to run things. You know, they've been doing the parades for a while and I'm, I'm kind of going along and, and doing my part too. And, uh, you know, it's nice to, to be a part of that. And then Purple Heart Day, I, w I was really happy about Purple Heart Day. I thought that was a great, great turnout. Um, you know, got the word out, we got some invitations printed and, and had a nice reception in this room here. And um, you know, I was grateful for all who attended that. And just last Monday, the Veterans Day Parade. So that was very nice. Um, and I'd also like to mention on um, Sunday, November 11th at 11 a.m., we as a town participated in the Bells of Peace, which was, a, <coughs> it's a national movement uh, to honor the centennial of the end of World War I, where you know, any bells in the community would be rung 21 times at that time to signify you know, the bells of peace, the 21 gun salute um, at that time. So I had um, contact with the fire chief and uh, some churches in town. Some of them didn't have operable bells, so it was a little difficult, but I, I know we participated. So that was something I also wanted to mention, even though it wasn't a part of the parade. Um, and you uh, did three square dedications this summer. Yes, that's right. Three square dedications that were um, in honor of the uh, centennial of World War One. So then um, in July, so kind of back backtrack from the August Purple Heart event, um, we made a trip to the Wall That Heals, which is a three-quarter scale replica of the Vietnam um, War Memorial that's in D.C. and it you know it has all the names included that's on that memorial. It's a it's a great site uh, for any of you who haven't seen that. It was recently in Foxborough at Gillette Stadium over Veterans Day weekend. Um, but they set it up at, at Union Point in Weymouth and, and a couple of the VSOs there, Rockland and Abington, I was able to you know, go say hi to them and, and uh, you know, network a little, but they, they were all working together to get that thing done. So, so maybe that's something that in the future we could bring to Easton with, with the work of uh, some other local VSOs. But, we took 20 veterans from Easton, which was a pretty good wow. turnout. We filled that bus that's right there. So, so it was pretty good. They were all really excited about it. And we, you know, we got down there and it was the, it just poured rain right after the opening ceremony. So oh. it, was, it was pretty good. I, I think everybody was ready to come home by the time we made it back, but uh, everybody was happy. And there were, about, there were hundreds of veterans there. Um, quite a few Vietnam veterans on the trip with us. So that was nice and, and it was special for me at least to be there. Um, and experience that with them on that. And then in September, we went to Battleship Cove. So, uh, you know, planning that trip, we coordinated with uh, Oliver Ames High School class, uh, Mr. Darling's history, U.S. History II class. Um, they met us down there. There were 22 of those students, and then 20 of us, uh, yeah, 15 Eastern veterans on this trip. And, you know, originally it was going to be, you know, we, we, I had spoken with the, you know, coordinating the price of um, admission for my group and, you know, it was $20 originally, they said 15 and we got there and they just let us in for free. So, you know, it was a, it was actually really nice. So that Great ended up, negotiating. Yeah. Well, you know, well done. I worked real hard. No, but uh, we got there and they just, you know, it was very nice because they were expecting to have to pay for that and to pay for lunch. And, and this was a tough one because I didn't want to. I didn't want to over, you know, invite everybody and make it feel, make people feel like, because this one had, you know, it had a price tag on it a little bit. And, 
Um, so, but it was nice. It ended up being a great day. And the, the students, I, I made a point to, I introduced myself to the class and the students. And I think I, I kind of broke the ice. I told them, don't be shy and to talk to the veterans. And, and from there, they, everybody kind of grouped up and did their own thing. And it's, it's a nice day over there. It's, it's as structured as you want it to be. So you can kind of wander around and climb all over all the ships and subs and all that. So it, I, the high school class had a blast. And uh, Mr. Darling, you know, he followed up. He wanted to do a luncheon with us at the VFW, uh, which we just did in October as part of his history class, uh, local history tour of Easton. So it was a great day. I got great feedback from that. And you know, it's, it's funny, the Battleship Cove, um, I can't take credit for coming up with that trip. I had a gentleman come up to me after Purple Heart, uh, yeah, the Purple Heart Day ceremony, and he said, I got our next idea. And uh, <laughs> you know, he wanted to go to, to Battleship Cove, so we went from there. But I've kind of made a point to each one of these trips or events, I assign a veteran who takes initiative, like he's like, you know, kind of comes up to me or um, wants to be involved with that. And I let them kind of run with it and have their own piece in planning or, you know, being involved in it. So I think it's a good way to, you know, keep people engaged and all that. So this was a great uh, generation mingling event though. So, um, and then leads us to here, which I was just discussing the October, in October, um, you know, Mr. Darling, he brought his high school class on a walking tour of Easton with Ed Hands, and uh, this was where they decided to have lunch. So they catered lunch at the VFW, and uh, I helped coordinate, you know, reserving the hall and all that. And you can't see it, but there's a tank behind all those students that are climbing. <laughs> <laughs> That's the tank outside the VFW. So that was, uh, you know, just another great, um, great event. Easy way to, you know, get everybody together and you know, it was, everybody was happy at the end of that one, so it was good. The students, I think, got a lot from it, and uh, we have a veteran there. That's Mr. Darling in the hat and the leather jacket, and uh, Frank Jarden, he's a, one of the veterans who uh, I had interacted with recently, and he happened to be a, um, an employee of Oliver Ames, passed, you know, for like 30 years or something, so it, it worked out perfect to invite him to come be a guest speaker, so. And then just some upcoming events here. This first one, um, Unfortunately, this one will be canceled. The church canceled this one for tomorrow. They invited us to come speak to the Friendship Club. Um, that was another Kathleen Gouveia, Outreach Coordinator, and I were going to go just kind of let everybody know what kind of services are out there. And, but the 29th, that one has been coordinated directly by um, myself and Kathleen, so we're going to hold on to that one. That one's going to be at the Quesit House on November 29th, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m., and we're gonna discuss some public programs and you know, veterans benefits that are available to the general public. Um, and you know, I, I, I need to back up a little bit. On, on Veterans Day, I actually, I, I wanted to mention this. I was invited to go to Moreau Hall Elementary School, which was very cool. So I got to go there on the 9th, and um, that's uh, pre-K through second grade. So that was a, an honor to be asked to go there. And, and I got to speak to the students, brought their veteran family member in, and I was able to, you know, let them know about some of the benefits that are available and some of the great services we have in town here. And I realized that I didn't know a single person in that room. So, you know, that's, it's a great way for me to be reaching veterans and, and you know, perform the outreach that I, I remember, um, you know, was mentioned in, in my interview process with you all was that, you know, outreach was huge. And, and that was a great thing to be able to do that. And I even mentioned it, you know, that I hadn't met a single person in that room and, and that how important it is that I meet them. So, um, so yeah, we're hoping to do that again on the 29th. And, and that's uh, the library, Ames Free Library is helping us put that on and advertise. 
you know, we have that in the town crier and uh, that'll be on Facebook and everywhere else. So also on my website, I have a, on my webpage, on the Easton town page, I have a news and upcoming events section where I post the flyers for each upcoming event. So, um, and if anybody has any questions on that, they can ask me or uh, Kathleen. And then on December 7th, uh, we're going to be hosting a Veterans Appreciation Day. It's Pearl Harbor Day, it's December 7th, so we're going to kind of tie in um, a few events. So the centennial of the end of World War I, um, Pearl Harbor Day, and then the National Guard, the Army National Guard birthday on December 13th. So kind of just a combination of great things. Um, obviously, Pearl Harbor Day, not a great thing, but uh, something to be recognized and, and honored. So um, we're going to tie that in and uh, have a day with lunch and games and camaraderie over at Frothingham Hall. So we're hoping for a good turnout for that and uh, getting the word out on that. So if anybody's interested, we welcome. It's not just veterans. It's anybody who would like to come out and, and uh, you know, have a fun day of appreciation and, and support. So um, that is the end of my update. Does anybody have any questions? That's a big update, right? Yeah, sorry. Very well done. You've yes. uh, certainly kicked it up a notch, and um, I think, you know, a lot more than, um, than we were expecting from the job, especially with the outreach that you, you've connected with other groups. And Easton's been such a generous community in so many different ways, and um, it's not surprising that you're getting recognized by other um, groups that want to connect with you. Um, like the Festival of Trees, and um, for people who don't know what that is, it's coming up um, that um, different trees are donated and they're decorated. You buy tickets um, when you go in, and then you place the tickets in the trees that you want to win, and it's a great fundraiser. Um, they raise a lot of money, actually, and it's a really nice event. It goes on, I'm not sure of all the dates, so I don't want to uh, say it incorrectly, but it's probably in the town crier, and it's very well advertised. So. Mm -hmm. um, that that'll be a terrific fundraiser yeah. to support. Definitely. David had something. Um, you know what, Corey, I just want to say, you, you know, I'm really impressed. I think you're doing a great job. I, the, the level of energy that you're injecting into the process is refreshing. Um, also, you know, I, I just want to emphasize the <coughs> service that you're providing with helping these veterans navigate the, you know, the federal system, you know, when, when you're trying to get VA grants. And, and co coming from somebody that I, went through that whole process and I followed up on the grants. It's a very tedious process and, and having somebody that understands the system and helping these people navigate through it is, is a tremendous part of what you do. Because a lot of people feel lost, you know, they don't navigate that stuff well. And if, I mean, you, you spell something wrong or you check the wrong box and it's like it could set you back months. And it's really, exactly. it's just great that you're, that you're on top of things. And, uh, Thank you. Doing a no doubt. Job, so. Well said, David. Yeah. Yep. Sure. I'd like to build on what David said, and it's true. And, and, but I was, I, I was impressed in seeing in your in, in attending some of these things with you during the during the summer, with your friendliness and sincerity, and uh, I also just jotted down some of the things you were you have been networking on in between other VSOs and other towns, working with the government, working with hospitals working with the schools, people of all different ages, the, the VFW posts and American Legion. Uh, I just, uh, 
am so impressed with uh, your efforts, and you actually seem to be enjoying your job very much. Sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, well said. Corey, I remember, I think, uh, when we actually had you come in, it was one of my first meetings where we had to pick between people. Um, and I'll never forget your passion that came through for me. Um, and it was just a question in my mind whether or not it would translate. And I think not only have I seen that every time we've been together and heard it from every person I've spoken to, but tonight certainly solidifies that. And you know, I think what was said, and I'm sorry for using extra words, but, but this actually means so much not only to me, but to the community uh, to make sure you know I'm grateful for the connections you make, the, the inroads you make between whether it's kids in schools, whether it's giving veterans the opportunity to engage in the community, um, all the other amazing things that you do to benefit a community that we owe so much to, these veterans, uh, and you make it look so easy. I, I just want to say that, and I mean that sincerely. Thank you. And usually that means somebody has a love for it, a passion for it, and they're good at it, and those are all great combinations to have, and I'm just so grateful that we have you. Um, so please, keep it up and, and keep doing so much good for our community and our town. Thank you. Well done. I, I have one technical question, and... Uh, you better get this right, otherwise I'm going to take it all back. <laughs> no pressure. No, could you tell, tell me and the public a little bit more about the Chapter 115? Is it yeah. typically a monthly payment? And you, you mentioned other overall kinds of things, such as sure. housing and stuff. Could you expand on that? Right. A bit? So, uh, you know, I made a point to, I put an entry in the, um, in the, the Reveille newsletter about Chapter 115. It's, it's kind of a, sometimes it's, I feel like it's not so, you know, outwardly advertised and, and it needs to be, you know, it needs to be out there. So I'm glad you asked that. Thank you. Um, so for a single individual to qualify for Chapter 115, which is probably the easiest way to, to answer um, in detail, a single person, an income, uh, a monthly income, um, a gross income of $2,023 per month or less, or slightly over See, there's so many little caveats here, but slightly over is, is you know, still come, come see me, um, with assets of uh, $5,000 or less, and again, or slightly over, uh, please come see me. And then married, uh, married couple or a two-income household, of, you have to be married, so um, of 2000 uh, roughly $2,800 or less, and then $9,800 in assets. Those assets don't include your home. They do include a second vehicle. Uh, they do include any investments, 401k, uh, stocks, bonds, trusts, IRA, uh, sometimes life insurance, dividends, things like that. Um, basically, anything that's countable income. Um, but if you know, if there's anybody who thinks they may be qualified for it, it's worth it to to come see and and let uh, let me help you prepare an application. And and I always say, even for the federal benefits. I'm not the approval authority on who's eligible for what I help prepare. I have a good idea of what people would end up with, but I always say to submit and, um, you know, just to be clear again, chapter 115 is a Massachusetts state program, uh, whereas the VA is the federal, uh, federal entity there, the federal agency. So, uh, chapter 115 covers, it, it provides a, depending on the income. So basically the money that you have coming in each month versus the money that you spend on rent, and utility costs, there's a calculation there that results in what's known as OB, ordinary benefit, which can be, uh, from what I've seen, anywhere from zero to $2,000 per month is the highest I've seen. And uh, that- Is it an age minimum? 
No, so there are different requirements. There's different categories you can be placed into, and one of them is an age requirement. If you're, you know, retired elderly benefit, um, they that's a category. Um, disabled or underemployed or unemployed. So my clients that are unemployed or underemployed, I work very closely with them, and they submit work search logs every two weeks. Uh, I make sure I refer them to local uh, veteran. Uh, they're called DevOps, Disabled Veteran Outreach uh, Program Coordinators. They're at each mass hire center. We have one in Brockton, Taunton, and they work closely. They're veterans in their office as well, so they work very closely and um, work with them to, you know, the goal is to get, this is not uh, to sustain for long periods of time, unless you're in that category of disabled or the retired elderly um, individual. So. Um, yeah, so anyway, it, it covers the, there's the ordinary benefit and there's a fuel portion to that too. If you pay, if your utilities are not included in your rent, then you can receive a small stipend that helps pay for, for fuel. But it's really, it results in a, a cash, uh, well, it's a check on the 15th that gets mailed out. And then a, uh, there's a, a check that goes out at the end of the month, every month that is for medical reimbursements. So probably the larger portion of the chapter 115 program and some people for some people would be the fact that it covers medical expenses and dental expenses so i have um, a working relationship with a few dentists in town that accept the rates that are paid out by chapter 115 which are similar to mass health so they're it's a significantly lower rate uh, it's close to half the cost of what some of these dentists charge to um, you know, privately, and and some of the dentists are you know they're gracious enough to support our veterans, and and you know, again that's due to able you know the ability to sit down and build those relationships with them as well to to have them understand that what what that means um, to those veterans receiving care. But yes, so uh, they can also submit medical reimbursement receipts. So uh, a VA. You get a VA slip at the end of the month that says you owe, you know, $48. That gets submitted to my office. I have a Dropbox there, and then by the end of the month, they receive that amount back if it's a, if it's correct, if it's a, a uh, an acceptable receipt. So, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Corey. You mentioned that you had some other folks that seemed to be engaged, whether it was Kathleen um, or Jake. Yes. But if you could just please express on our behalf our sincere gratitude for their efforts as well. It truly takes a team, I'm sure, to get everything accomplished that Definitely. we've talked about today. So if you could, on our behalf, please extend those. That would be of appreciated. Yeah, Tom, if I could actually add to that. Um, so first of all, Corey, great presentation. Thank you so much for everything you're doing. When you said uh, you've been here since March, it feels like a lot longer than yeah, that yeah. Uh, <laughs> in a good way. Yeah. Um, but uh, Tom, to that point of the, the teamwork, um, Corey and Kristen as uh, the director of Health and Community Services, that whole department is really uh, such a good example of uh, the town uh, doing more with less and leveraging resources from all of our departments to continue to provide uh, great services and in the case with uh, the Veterans Department, um, improved services without necessarily in increasing our spending. We have a lot of conversations in this room about the fact that the town's had a structural revenue deficit for 11 years now. Uh, we do everything that we can to continue to provide great services without increasing our expenses. This department uh, that Corey's a part of, that's led by Kristen Kennedy, uh, Kathleen is in, in this current fiscal year is spending fewer dollars than in 2016 um, and improving services while doing it. So um, really they're, they're kind of a flagship example of, of the town's ongoing efforts to keep doing more with less and uh, 
work together with different departments, whether it's with the schools, whether it's using Council on Aging vans to transport veterans to great events. Um, so I'm just very proud of the work they're doing. Well said. Thank you. And I, I think it's worth a shout out too while we're recognizing um, people is that our legislative delegation was very instrumental in the passage of, it was a, the Valor Act? The Brave Act. The Brave Act. Valor's okay. also, Valor, Valor 2, there's, okay. there's a whole bunch of them, but Brave Act is the most recent, so. Right, and they were um, very heavily involved in that, so yes. uh, thanks to them as well. Yes. And thank you, Corey, really appreciate the update. Thank you all. Thank you, Corey. Thanks, thank you, Corey. I think we have two more VFL-related matters. Well, we only get you in here like once a year, so we might as well take full advantage of having you here. <laughs> you want to go ahead and speak to C? All right, so um, I believe I've provided a copy of the Veterans Discretionary Fund, Policy 53. Uh, just some minor edits there for the most part, but there are two um, major pieces that I, I would like to um, discuss and just tell a little bit about. So um, Section 5, I've added a, a proposed definition that we would follow uh, for that, the purposes of that discretionary fund. Um, and it reads, uh, for the purposes of the Easton Veterans Discretionary Fund, a veteran shall be defined as someone who has served in any branch of the U.S. military and was discharged under conditions other than dishonorable. This can be verified by DD-214, NGB-22, or any state or federal issued form of ID or records. Um, and this is very important. This is uh, the reason why I've requested that change is to include those service members who don't meet the definition of a veteran. Um, and unfortunately, I, you know, I spoke to the, um, the officer, the Black Hawk pilot who just left. I went and introduced myself to her as she was running out. And um, I made sure she knew who I was and gave her a copy of, I gave her a copy of the Reveille, uh, as uh, absence of my card on hand. But um, she, I, in talking with her, unfortunately, if she were to come to me to receive this help, she would not be qualified to um, receive funds from the discretionary fund. Uh, which I, I had outlined earlier, just, just based off of how the policy was shaped. Um, in the absence of a definition, we were following the state definition of a veteran, which they use, and, and it's, a, it's very useful in the way that they use it, is to qualify for certain benefits, such as Chapter 115, things like that. And it, it is, uh, you know, it's 180 days of active duty service for uh, peacetime and 90 days of active duty service, one of those days during time of war, to qualify as a veteran for those specific benefits. Um, so, I've had so the way this read before was that they would have had to have also been in active active war, even if they served in, during peacetime. Uh, they would have had benefit? to have 180 days of active duty. So National Guard and Reserve, um, as as mentioned earlier, they serve. You know, it's one weekend a month mm -hmm. and two weeks a year. Those, those are training. That's active uh, training. So that's not active duty counting toward any federal benefits, most okay. state benefits. There's really not a lot of benefits for um, our National Guard and, and even less for our reservists. So, um, you know, and the purpose behind that is just to include, but I think, I think as a precaution, we weren't using the discretionary, we were following the state, sure. the state definition. Okay. Uh, but to localize the definition would include all, I feel like the, the gray area veterans, so to speak, that 
you know, and I would never tell someone they're not a veteran if they've served in the military. That's and but unfortunately, with Chapter 115 and some of the federal benefits, I have to tell them they're not qualified under that. Right. And that's a difficult thing to do. So, you know, um, having this definition change would allow me to to do my job and serve even more uh, more of our our veterans and service members. And it's it wouldn't be a major change in in the activity that I presented earlier with the discretionary budget. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, and let's see, another uh, mark on point 10, I would request to increase the discretion of myself and in my absence, Kristen, the Director of Health and Community Services, from a $200 limit to a $500 limit without Board of Selectmen approval. The main reason for this would be, um, you know, just with rising cost of living and things like that, um, you know, $200 may not even fill a, a full oil tank, uh, you know, in a, in a home to, you know, if I have someone come to me and, and they're not able to heat their home and, um, you know, I'm able to provide that emergency service, I'd like to give them the best footing that I can. And, and I think increasing that limit to 500 gives me the discretion to be able to, to, do, to do that, so. Okay. Anybody have any questions? So, um, we're looking for a motion to update the Veterans Discretionary Fund Policy 53 as noted yeah, in the packet. Correct. Okay. Would someone like to make that motion? So moved. Second. Craig and Chuck, all in favor? Unanimous. Excellent. Thank you. And uh, the next one is the policy, the, um, yes, the discretionary account memo. So in your packet, you also have a oh, memo gift from memo. me that um, is requesting that you establish a second fund. This would be the veteran's gift account. Um, as we've talked, there was a huge desire for programming. Um, Corey has risen to the occasion, and we've kind of scrapped together ways of getting a lot of this programming off the, um, the ground. Um, as Corey said, when he was going to Battleship Cove, $15 plus lunch could mean that some of our veterans choose not to go home, not to go on the trip. Um, if we're able to establish a um, gift account for programming, that would give Corey the ability to subsidize some of these trips, to be able to accept um, the donation that he already spoke of um, from the Tree Festival and use that money <coughs> for actual interaction with the veterans. Um, Corey mentioned the quarterly newsletter. I think we all think it is a huge asset and a huge benefit but it comes at a cost. Printing it and getting it out the door the first time was $350. We're gonna look at ways of reducing that, but there's nothing in our budget that supports that. The tree festival money potentially could support that. We could accept donations. He could actually send out, like the um, Council on Aging does, asking for support from the people receiving the, um, the quarterly newsletter pamphlets, pens, the types of things that allow him to promote and get people in the door. Um, so what I'm asking is that you establish a second fund and it would be for programming. I'm also, in the memo, I've requested that you um, allocate $3,000 from the Stonehill monies that are not assigned to departments to establish this fund. Um, I kind of 
picked that number and I think it's very appropriate in that Recreation and Council on Aging already received similar appropriations from the Stonehill funds. Um, and I think the same could be said for the, the need for this type of programming and the support for programming um, under the veterans. I think it's great. I wholeheartedly support it and I thank you for bringing it forward because it's something that nobody would know about, um, you know, unless you worked with the veterans to think to do that. So um, I think it's great. And also to remind people at home, if they do want to make donations, how do they do that? Yes, so any donations can be made. I get, sometimes I'll get a, a letter in the mail that is full of gift cards, things like that. So people can mail, they can drop them by, I can come pick them up. If um, So basically you can call my office, um, numbers 508-230-0690 and press three for veterans or you can press any number and you'll get to, you'll get to the Council on Aging. Um, but I am willing to, like I said, come out to accept those donations or, or have someone bring them to the office. Um, and each donor gets uh, their name put on my webpage. I have a, a list of donors, those who wish to be listed, so. Okay, that's terrific. So we don't take a vote on that, but uh, we would like to make sure there's a consensus on uh, that. You would, you would take a vote to establish the gift account uh, right, but for, for the purposes. for the funding that goes into it, we you, you don't need to don't need to do that. Okay, can allocate it. Okay, um, would somebody like to make a motion to establish the gift account? So moved. Second. So that was Craig and Chuck. Uh, all in favor? Unanimous. And um, just to make sure, it seems like there's a consensus to fund it from the Stonehill gift account. Without Absolutely. question. Without Thank question, you so much yeah. for bringing it up. And I know, I feel like it's a, every dollar given is gonna be given back to the community exponentially given how much you do and make things work. So, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you all. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Kristen, you're still up, right? Yep. <laughs> Have a great night, Corey. Okay, next up is the execution of a lease agreement with Brockton Area Transit for the Council on Aging 2018 shuttle bus. So, deja vu all over again. Um, I was in front of you not that long ago having you sign a lease for a 2018 um, replacement bus for the Council on Aging. Um, two weeks after we got it on the road, I got an email saying, hey, we have another bus want it. <laughs> we had started the paperwork process to replace our 2011. We were anticipating hopefully being part of their next round and receiving a bus next year at this time. Um, I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouse. We were on the list and um, there's an extra bus waiting for us as soon as we get the lease signed. They will put our name on it and we will be able to replace the 11 as well, which is really starting to show wear and tear. Well, I met with the um, Director of Transportation of Brockton Area Transit a couple of months ago, Ray Ledoux, and he's very active in the Metro South Chamber, so I see him at a lot of different events. And he was saying that one of the things um, that Easton does is, written into the contract, is um, maintenance schedule. And not every community follows through with the maintenance schedule to bring in their vehicles. It, they perform the maintenance for free, so why wouldn't you do that, right? And he said that Easton has been great about um, adhering to the maintenance schedule, so you really do take very good care of the vehicles when you have them. But he also um, 
gave a compliment to you, Kristen, and said, what a great job that you're doing. So you and your team, uh, thank you for that, because the transportation is really vital um, to the people in the, in the community that use it. Thank you. It, it is completely a team effort. Um, when we restructured the department, we brought Lisa O'Hearn, who Corey mentioned, um, as part of his support staff, um, in full time as the transportation coordinator. And our ability to maintain the vehicles and get them over to bat for routine maintenance instead of having to quickly repair things through our DPW and pay for it out of the town's funds um, has been the key. Lisa is on top of it. They are, we're rotating the vehicles through. Um, and anytime there's an issue, where we have really cut our maintenance budget um, for what we're actually putting out the door by utilizing what BAT already gives us as part of the lease. That's great. Well Anybody have any comments or questions? So um, we would need a motion to enter into an agreement with Brockton Area Transit Authority um, for the Mo Mobility Assistance Program vehicle lease. So moved. Second. So Tom and, and uh, Craig, all in favor? Unanimous. Great. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Sorry, Kristen, was there? Did you and Dottie have any uh, announcement regarding upcoming events for the 7th? Sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, um, As Corey mentioned, there is um, going to be a function at Frothingham Hall on December the 7th, um, kind of a day of appreciation for our veterans. Prior to that, um, we will be receiving our certificate from AARP designating us as being on the path to becoming an age-friendly community. Nice. So we would um, welcome everyone, anyone that would like to join us um, on December 7th. We're going to kick that off at 1030 in the morning. Um, information will be in the coordinator um, as it goes out and in all the other um, venues that we then generally use to get with the word out there. We'll follow it with a light lunch and hopefully people will linger and honor our veterans by playing some games with them. So it'll be a full day. Yes. Yes, well, that's great. I'm thrilled to hear that we've received that designation, and uh, I'm looking forward to the five-year program. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, Kristen. Thanks, Kristen. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. Um, next up is the contract award for, with Rise Engineering for the condensing boiler for fire station number three. Sure, so uh, actually items F and G in your contract both uh, just have one memo. It's with the same engineering company, uh, two different uh, products. One is a condensing boiler for fire station three. The other is a gas water heater for fire station one. Uh, these are both DPW contracts that Director Field is recommending the town award. Um, they are being funded uh, overwhelmingly through Green Communities grant funding. So uh, the Sorry, the, con the total amount for the condensing boiler for fire station three is $73,389. Total amount for the gas water heater for station one is $33,120. Uh, 96,071 will be funded from Green Communities Grant Funds. Uh, there will be incentives of 7,600 and the remaining 2,838 will be picked up by existing uh, facilities maintenance funds. Wow. So. Okay, terrific. Any questions? 
Uh, how old are the items that are being replaced? I'm assuming these new ones might come with some energy efficiencies and savings. Sure, that's a great question. So they, um, we don't know the exact date that they were put in, but they are far past their useful life. Uh, I did ask uh, Dave Field last week, what we are projecting is an annual utility cost saving of 6200, 6290 per year uh, due to these installations. Uh, so that will be not only more efficient and uh, better for, for the environment, but uh, a meaningful savings every year. That's fantastic. So we are getting, when you say green communities, mm -hmm. is that a grant from the green communities? It is. So East and... Another grant? We, we did. Another uh, grant? Another one. Connor. Uh, yes. Uh, Easton is a, is a proud green community. We were one of the first in Bristol County. I believe we might have been the first. Um, don't necessarily quote me on the first part, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we were one of the first. We joined the Green Communities um, uh, program in 2010. That's a statewide program uh, which communities commit to the uh, Commonwealth that we will work to reduce our energy use uh, in, uh, in the buildings we control, municipal and school facilities. So we joined that in 2010. Uh, since then, we've received $749,755 in grant funding that has gone towards various efficiency upgrades, boilers. Street lights. Uh, uh, I believe streetlight conversions. Uh, there's been um, just a tremendous amount of really great uh, efficiency conversion work that's been done with that state money. Uh, we've reduced our uh, municipal energy consumption by 14% uh, since then. So that's also fantastic. So beyond the, uh, you know, the cost savings we're getting every year, it's, it, we're, we're reducing our carbon footprint, which mm -hmm. is great. Um, so it's, it's been a very successful program that's managed by DPW. Dayfield does an awesome job with it. Um, we're looking at considering some uh, electric or plug-in vehicles for uh, the next round of grant funding uh, for the town's fleet to reduce our uh, fossil fuel consumption. So it's Excellent. been very successful. Great. So you are looking for... Um... Uh, there would be separate motions. So um, you have item F is a contract with Rise Engineering for the condensing boiler, and then there's item G, which is also with Rise Engineering for a gas water heater. Okay. Um, we'll start with making a motion to enter into agreement with Rise Engineering for the condenser boiler. So moved. Second. So Craig and Tom, all in favor? Unanimous. And the second one is for the... Make a motion to approve the, or the contract to Rise Engineering for the gas water heater. Second. Tom and Chuck, all in favor? Unanimous. Great. Thank you. Got it. All right, next is the setting of the 2019 Board of Selectmen license fees. Sure, thank you, Dottie. So uh, each year the board uh, votes to uh, set the annual uh, fees and filing fees that uh, you charge for various licenses that you issue. The board issues all liquor licenses in town. You do special one-day licenses for alcohol, uh, common victualler licenses for restaurants, auto dealer licenses, things of that nature. Uh, the town has, at various points in the past, admittedly not this fall, but we typically once every year or two do uh, look at our peer group uh, of comparable communities to see what their boards of selectmen charge for licenses. Some of them are capped by state law, like uh, auto licenses. Uh, and Easton is consistently um, kind of ranked middle of the pack, if not slightly above average, so we haven't uh, raised annual fees uh, in many years. The board did adjust filing fees upward uh, to reflect um, just the, I think they were last changed 
decades ago, so we were just having those administrative fees more appropriately reflect uh, the staff time it takes to prepare these licenses. So at this time, um, I've prepared in your packet a 2019 fee schedule that is uh, unchanged from 2018. That's what I would recommend. Well, I think not raising the fees is a good thing when we can do it. Um, so anybody have any questions? All right, would somebody like to make a motion to, um, to vote to accept the 2019 license fees as recommended? So moved. Second. So Craig and who was second? Tom? Me. All in favor? Unanimous. Thank you. All right. Um, next up is the personnel plan update. Sure, so uh, one of my responsibilities by charter is to prepare annually and submit to the selectmen a personnel plan. Uh, no formal action is required from the board, uh, but what this plan does is it is a <coughs> comprehensive catalog of all the personnel required to manage the day-to-day -day government of the town. It does not include school employees, uh, but it is uh, a comprehensive roster of all job descriptions, wage and salary schedules uh, for any department established by charter, the town's code, bylaw, um, uh, or the budget, uh, and it is uh, something that is largely maintained by Mary Southworth, who does a great job at it. It's a very large file, it's uh, 268 pages, but this effectively co uh, codifies and details uh, all of the positions that it takes to run uh, a town, in this case. Um, you have 18 uh, full-time equivalent non-union positions and 149 uh, positions uh, governed by collective bargaining agreements. This plan is largely unchanged from last year when I submitted it to you in September, uh, except for five new wage scales for the five uh, collective bargaining units that the Board of Selectmen have ratified agreements with for fiscal year 19, 20, and 21, and some minor tweaks to uh, certain responsibilities for, uh, for uh, job positions, but nothing that is substantive in a financial manner. Okay, any questions? Is this on our website as I'm not sure if it's on our website. Okay. Uh, I could check. All right. But it is maintained. It's been maintained by our office for many years. Uh, okay, great. So this is just information only. There's no vote required or anything. No, not unless if a board uh, by charter could take a vote to reject it. Uh, Anyone want to reject it? <laughs> no. Nope. I appreciate that. <laughs> okay, great. Thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, the next is the town administrator presentation. Five Corners District Improvement Financing, the DIF Phase 1 report. Sure, so I probably should have named that differently because it's actually a presentation with myself and the Director of Planning and Economic Development, Stephanie Danielson. Stephanie's gonna give a presentation pulled up on screen. I have a copy of it uh, printed out for uh, the board as well. So as the board's aware, the town has been working for many years to advance sewer infrastructure projects uh, throughout the town, uh, but uh, right now we're also working on the Five Corners needs area. Uh, we've passed some major milestones in sewering this district, such as purchasing the capacity for treating it from Mansfield in 2015, connecting Robert Drive to Mansfield's regional treatment plant in 2017, 
the final and largest phase of this project, which is the phase two construction project, uh, had funding appropriated for by town meeting this past May. Uh, the board is aware sewer projects are primarily uh, financed through the assessment of betterments. Uh, however, as part of our best practices and due diligence, we do everything that we can to explore other financing options to support these major capital projects uh, to keep betterment assessments as low as they possibly can be. Uh, you know, that, that includes more typical things that we explore, like looking for grant money, which we recently received a $225,000 grant to support this project. Uh, but for Five Corners, we have been looking at additional tools, and one of those that we're considering is called District Improvement Financing. Uh, so I'll refer to that as a DIF program. I wish there was a <laughs> sexier acronym, but there's not. Um, so Stephanie and I are, are here tonight to present the Board of Selectmen with the findings and recommendation of uh, the first phase of a feasibility study uh, that the town commissioned to uh, basically explore whether or not uh, implementing a DIF program in Five Corners makes good economic sense. Uh, we'll start by briefly reviewing what a DIF program is. We'll talk about the process the town undertook this summer and fall. Uh, to determine uh, what kind of anticipated growth could occur in this district uh, following the construction of Five Corners Phase 2 and whether or not that'd be sufficient to help offset some of the costs of that project and reduce betterments. And we'll conclude by uh, providing an overview of Camoyne Associates' key findings and recommendation as well as detailing what the next steps are on this project. So. The revitalization of the Five Corners District has been in the planning process for a number of years. Um, Easton's Comprehensive Wastewater Management Plan, which was first drafted in 2004, was finalized and issued in 2014. And it identified the Five Corners as a high needs area for centralized wastewater treatment. Um, what the plan recognized was that economic development in the district was constrained by the fact that you had very poor soil conditions, high groundwater, and um, it wasn't suitable to larger on-site disposal, <coughs> um, wastewater disposal. And again, that, that constrained a lot of economic development in the area. One of the things that um, we've been looking for in the district are some new restaurants, particularly on Robert Drive, and recently I was told that the reason that the Phillips Edison Company, which is the real estate investment trust that owns that property, um, was not able to attract restaurants was because of the high cost for them to upgrade their wastewater treatment facility to accommodate those. The town's master plan and Vision Easton also identified the five corners as an area targeted for growth and development and specifically included objectives um, to increase sewer capacity where it could positively affect economic development and accommodate new residential development. So both the Comprehensive Wastewater Management Plan and Envision Easton identified five corners for sewer development. In the at process um, and in response to those planning efforts. The town's work to advance that vision, um, again, for many years, including multiple votes of town meeting to advance project funding, first through the purchase of 165,000 gallons per day 
of wastewater treatment capacity from Mansfield in 2015. The construction of the first phase of the project in 2017, which brought the water main, I'm, I'm sorry, the waste water, the sewer main from Mansfield down to Avalon. And of course, most recently at town meeting last year, $13.5 million for the second phase of construction scheduled to begin in 2018. During a recent public visioning session, residents and business owners came together. Um, the residents and business owners that had interest and in stake in the district and created their, um, helped tell us what their vision of the future for the Five Corners is. Looking out over the next 10 to 15 years, they see an area that feels more like a vibrant mixed-use neighborhood where people can live, shop, eat, and play, and even work. The two commercial bookends of the district would become mixed-use centers that would offer restaurants, stores, entertainment, places to socialize, and they'd be linked by a modern roadway with walkways and bicycle accommodations. The first critical step to achieving this, of course, is bringing sewer to the district. The first phase of sewer construction has already triggered interest of redevelopment of the foundry site that was purchased this past spring by a developer. He's been in the office talking several times with concept plans and is very interested in advancing that and even, even um, providing mitigation payments for uh, light improvement or traffic improvements at the Quanicut and Foundry Street um, intersection. So we know that there's interest in developing the area, but it really needs the um, improvements that are gonna spark that. Future infrastructure improvements, such as sidewalks, streets, streetscape, and roadway improvements, as well as zoning reform, like the compact neighborhood overlay district that was passed at town meeting in May, um, will also help catalyze additional private investment in the area. The long-range planning that has been underway for the past several years has also helped position the town to take advantage of various financing tools that will help fund the projects. Um, the state will once again take advantage of the state revolving fund program, which provides no interest loans for sewer construction. Um, we were one of only 19 communities in the state to receive a housing choice application, um, I'm sorry, housing grant, housing choice grant this fall in the amount of $225,000. I'd like to say that earlier, um, the veterans officer, I believe it was, was talking about the green communities and, and Dottie mentioned that Easton was one of the first to become designated as a green community. We were the second community that was designated as a housing choice community. And I, I think the first town, which was Little, Littleton, had an inn ahead of us, so they, they kind of beat us to the punch. The reason we were able to achieve that designation so early was because of all the planning efforts that the town has undergone. And that $225,000 is going to help pay the cost of the remaining engineering design fees. And um, we've just completed 
and this is why we're here tonight, phase one of the feasibility study for the DIF district um, improvement financing program, which could help offset some of the sewer construction costs and could possibly help fund some of the inf other infrastructure projects that will, will help this district. So what, what exactly is district improvement financing and why uh, is the town looking at it for Five Corners area? So uh, district improvement financing is a tool that is enabled by Mass General Law Chapter 40Q. Uh, which basically allows a community to help pay for infrastructure improvements in an area that's targeted for economic growth, like the Five Corners. The core concept here is that the community can establish a district uh, within which new growth dollars that are made possible by a public investment, so in this case, uh, the second phase of sewer construction, uh, are used basically to help pay for a portion of that capital infrastructure cost. The amount of the revenue earmarked for those infrastructure payments are determined during the development of a DIF program and have to be approved by town meetings. So when I'm using the word community, I mean it literally. This is not uh, some, you know, a, a staff-driven administrative choice that I make from my desk. We have had uh, pretty good engagement so far. We had the charrette in September, which was very well attended. Uh, where we had folks that Stephanie just mentioned were, uh, who live in this district came in and shared their vision with us. Uh, for how they would like to see the Five Corners evolve uh, in the future. As we advance this project, so tonight we're talking about phase one, we're going to begin phase two very, very shortly after. Part of that's going to be continued <coughs> public input sessions, vetting out uh, specifically wh what we would like to see revenues, if this moves forward, go towards. The primary purpose that we're proposing is sewer. Uh, but all of that is an is a engaged public process. It's locally designed, has to be locally approved, has to be approved by town meeting. So establishing a DIF program uh, in the Five Corners accomplishes uh, a few really important things. One, uh, it provides, uh, it, or it could provide another method of funding the Five Corners sewer uh, outside of our standard uh, financial processes of seeking grants and uh, assessing betterments. And that's important because Five Corners Sewer is the town's most ambitious non-building capital project ever. It's the, the scope, the duration of planning, and the cost. It is a 24 and a half, estimated $24.5 million project. Uh, so it's really <coughs> important that we uh, kick the tires and, and, and use all the available options to support such a flagship project that is so important for the community and uh, provide additional funding methods. So that's one reason why it's important too. Uh, what that translates into and what is really important to, to individuals at the end of the day uh, is that any additional financing for a sewer project like this uh, can help reduce the final betterment amount for property owners in that area. So that's really important and, really and, and could be really meaningful to folks in that area. And three is that this isn't just a one-time project. Uh, this, if this advances, a DIF program and a DIF district uh, can be leveraged in the future uh, for other infrastructure needs that are uh, envisioned there. So as Stephanie spoke to, there's been, uh, in some cases, decades-long planning processes here at play between the wastewater management planning, you had the Envision Easton plan, uh, you, we've had visioning sessions with the neighborhood. Uh, we have the vision, we have people engaged, but these projects are costly. And DIF is a tool that will help make funding some of these projects possible. 
So as Connor mentioned, um, creating a DIF program requires adoption by the town's legislative body, which of course is through a Warren, Warren article at annual town meeting. Um, in order to prepare for that process, we were really under a pretty tight timeline. You know, you get to go to town meeting once a year. We wanted to get this done. Um, and it started through a request, through a warrant at 2018 town meeting to appropriate $30,000 um, from the Avalon Sewer Mitigation Fund to help fund the cost of the feasibility study. Um, that passed. We went out with a request for quotes and a response to a scope of work, and we received those back in mid-July, and uh, we awarded the contract to Camoyne Associates. They are a very well-known economic development consulting firm, very well respected. And um, we started the process. The first step was to do a, an initiation. They came in and they met with us. They met with me, Connor, Dave Field, and Wendy to talk about the process. We met with Rob because he's going to play an important role as we move forward um, to really set the stage, make sure that the schedule was going to work and, and that we were committed. That was a really important point to Camoyne. They wanted to know that the town was committed to investing the time and energy into this um, study to make sure that it worked. Then they started their data collection process. As Connor mentioned, part of that process was doing a visioning charrette with residents and business owners, property owners, people who had an interest in the district. Um, I was really very pleased. We had about, all in total, we had about 45 to 50 people participating. And, and thank you, because several of the Board of Selectmen were there as well. Um, in addition to that, Camoyne met with several stakeholders that we identified for them, people who uh, owned businesses in the district and owned several properties, as well as the chair of the planning board. They spent quite a bit of time talking with them and getting their input, and they did extensive um, market research and analysis. They did an infrastructure gap analysis as well, which really identified what the gaps were between the existing infrastructure in the district versus the infrastructure that would be needed, including the sewer, to make that area really pop and, and grow the way we'd like to see it. Then they did revenue forecasts, projecting out based on that vision and the likelihood based on the market analysis what could really happen there. And then they um, issued their final findings and report. So, you know, what did the feasibility study find? Um, from a market analysis, market analysis standpoint, um, their findings revealed that the district could support a higher density of residential development, additional retail and office space, and even some light industry. They found in talking to some of the stakeholders that they really felt that that was a possibility. 
Um, people are looking for diverse housing options. We knew that. We knew that from doing the Envision Easton. Um, we know that from talking to people. We know that from our board members who talk to other residents who are, who are interested as maybe they're aging in being able to downsize in Easton and stay in Easton. And from people who have children that want to move back to Easton and maybe finding it difficult to find a house in their, in their price range. The fact that that was reinforced by Camoyne's um, market analysis just puts more truth to that. They wanted homes with lower maintenance um, and they want it to feel like a neighborhood. So they're really looking for that even though you know, they, want, they want the modern amenities and they want things to, to feel like they're current. They also want it to feel like that neighborhood where you can live, you can work, you can socialize. On the, the business side and retail side, they fe um, determined that there is an unmet demand for certain retail types regionally, which would include furniture and home furnishing stores, electronics and appliances, clothing and jewelry, as well as hobby and um, sports stores. Within the district in particular, that unmet demand included clothing, stores, sports, hobby sto stores, restaurants, and other eating places. Um, their research also indicated that the town could absorb probably an additional 20,000 square feet of office space. So again, that's important because that would um, provide work opportunities for people living in the district. And I mentioned the um, fact that they heard that light industry might be supported, and maybe not within the district itself. However, just outside the district on the western um, end, you have one of Easton's industrial areas, and there are several thriving businesses that are doing quite well there. So again, a real opportunity for people to um, live closer to where they might work. And those findings coincided quite um, well with the results of the visioning charrette. I mean, overwhelmingly, the participants in the charrette um, talked about a vision of the five corners that was a walkable community neighborhood. You talked about being able to be connected to the outdoor space there, maybe be a, being able to enjoy recreational activities, including concerts and, and those type of things. And I think that was really encouraging in the visioning session because as planners, we talk about that a lot. People talk about that. They see trends. You see it happening in other communities. But to actually hear it from people that live in the district in Easton um, makes you realize that you're on the right path. And again, the infrastructure review identified the gaps that existed between the existing infrastructure and what would be needed for the district to achieve that vision. And the, the first everyone acknowledged and recognized was sewer, that without the sewer, you really weren't going to see any growth in that, any realistic growth in that area. Um, and then the other types of interest infrastructure that would be beneficial would be sidewalks, the bike paths, crosswalks, things like that, streetscape improvements, um, street lights, and um, even carefully considered uh, ve vehicular parking. And the idea there is that, f first off, pe people still are, are going to drive 
And if that becomes that vital area and attractive to people, people will want to come and they will want to visit from outside the district as well. Just on the revenue scenario, I apologize, that was the last bullet point. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how to go backwards. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So, uh, again, based upon the estimated incremental property tax revenues, capturing 50%, would enable the town to direct approximately $7.2 towards the cost of sewer improvements. So that's, I think, getting back to the point that you mentioned earlier, that this would enable us to potentially explore lowering the betterments that are being assessed in order to fund the project. That's right. So um, that's a good question. I actually was going to speak to that um, on the next slide, oh. kind of explaining how. Do you want me to go right Please. Yeah, sure. No, 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 don't. Sorry. That's, that's good. So, you know, Tom, it's a good question. Basically, how does the diff financing here work? So part of the feasibility study included the establishment of a baseline property valuation of the approximately 302 pieces of property in this district. So Camoyne Associates worked with Rob and the assessor's office to uh, establish what is the actual property value of this district as it exists uh, today. And by today, I mean January 1st of this year. And that number is approximately $175.5 million. So looking at the market analysis, the infrastructure gap, gap analysis, and other data they collected, Camoyne has projected that by building the second phase of five corners, uh, sewer, uh, we could be looking at uh, an investment in private growth uh, of about 30.8 million through fiscal 25, mm -hmm. which over a 30-year period, which is the same term of betterment uh, payback, that increased valuation is estimated to generate a cumulative 14.2 million in additional tax revenue. If you used 50% of that as diff, funding, uh, then that would make available approximately $7.2 million that you could apply towards the bonded costs of this sewer project. So it was a really long, probably unnecessarily verbose way of saying yes to your question, which is that in concept, uh, any non-betterment funding applied to a set project cost, holding other variables the same, reduces the betterment. In that example where the total project costs were estimated at our previous meeting uh, for the Sewer Commission at $24,276,314, less the $7.439 million of Avalon funds, it left a total to be recovered via betterments of $16,800,000. In this scenario, would that 7.2 lower those betterments, all things being held equal, by that the 16.8 less the 7.2? Uh, so an important distinction there, the, sev the 7 million number you cited is Avalon mitigation payments and town reserve. So much like Quisit, mm -hmm. not every single gallon of treatment is being apportioned out of the gate when we build this project. That's meant to be an economic development tool. Uh, but accordingly, and in the sense of, and for the, the sake of equity, we are not bettering the cost of all 100% of the treatment capacity because we're not actually allocating it. We're allocating closer to 75 or 80% of a treatment capacity mm -hmm. based on our current estimates. So the town is holding on to a certain amount of a project cost, a proportional amount. That will be sold off <laughs> through privilege fees uh, in future years as uh, infill and expansion happens. Uh, so it, the amount to be bettered based on the uh, estimated projections on October 29th is 16800 uh, So if you have 7 million of diff come in 
one option for a town to consider is applying that to that number. Another option for a town to consider is reducing some of the reserve that the town is carrying through general borrowing. Mm -hmm. uh, so those are kind of specifics that would be vetted out in the next phase of this project, of the DIF program. Uh, those are uh, uh, financial details we would need to establish working with Wendy, working with the board and the community as we move forward uh, before bringing it to town meeting in May. But again, the short answer is that uh, what, it may not be dollar for dollar off of the amount to be bettered. It could have a significant impact on reducing the amount to be bettered. Well said. I think this is so important um, given the fact that it's the project itself is so important to the town and the success as evidenced by the amount of increased uh, value that could be assessed at 30.875 million. I think that speaks to why this is our largest non-building project that we're undergoing because of the size of the opportunity. But I think uh, this opportunity to pursue diff financing helps us balance off that there are impacts to individuals that are along right. this, um, this route via betterments. Um, so I think it's just so important that we can get that message out about the importance of this diff opportunity. I appreciate that. We, we take very, very seriously um, the impact that betterments can have. Uh, I've been working through many different job titles, but in one way or another on all the town's sewer projects since I've worked here. And uh, while there are certainly some folks that, you know, the betterment comes at a good time, they need to replace their septic, it's a comparable cost to a septic, there are folks where the timing is not so good or that it just doesn't work well with their financing and that it's, it, can, it can be very difficult. So we take very seriously the charge of trying to find as many options as possible to support these projects uh, and keep that cost as low as we can. And so um, I believe uh, credit where it's due, I, everything blurs at this point. Like I said, I feel like Corey's been here for five years, but it's been <laughs> eight months. But I, I think Stephanie brought this idea to uh, me earlier, uh, shortly after the board appointed me. Um, because DIF is, it is a tool that's made possible by state law, but it's not widely, it has not been widely taken advantage of. It's, it's relatively complex. Um, and uh, uh, so that, that I think is part of it. I think Easton would be one of the first or second towns, towns uh, to consider right. this. Yeah. Se um, several cities are using this. Brockton is using it. Quincy is using it. Quincy's been using DIF for quite a while to fund infrastructure projects. Um, uh, we've been working with mass development through this effort, and they are very interested in using Easton's experience. Um, I, I've told Dottie, I've been out and about talking to other planning directors when we go to conferences and workshops, and they all want to hear what Easton is doing, because for a small town, um, we're really quite progressive in, in getting a lot done and taking advantage of the um, other opportunities and tools to leverage. So mass development is very interested to um, be able to use us as an example for other communities to demonstrate that this can work for small communities. It's not just a, a large city tool. Are you ready for the next? I, I have a question. Sure. Um, I certainly appreciate all the hard work that went, but I, but I do have some concerns though. So, yep. <clears throat> so the additional incremental tax revenues go into the general fund, and then it gets fifty percent gets dispersed to to what to this to this account that's going to handle sidewalks and all this other stuff. 
you know, when you look at this, there's this, this a lot of housing we're talking about. I, I have a lot of concerns about, I mean, we're, we're starving for revenue right now is what my concern is. Um, you're talking about a, a tremendous amount of housing that's potentially going to go in here. And, and as everyone knows, housing is a little bit of a loser for the schools. I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't cover the cost of st educating a st uh, student, et cetera. So I, I get a lot of concerns that we're going to be taking money that we really need. I mean, we've had a f failed overrides where we need the money. So, and, I, and I'm all for putting money aside to do road improvements and all this other stuff. So I'm not, I'm not against the concept of it, but I, I just, I'm having trouble with the math, seeing how this is going to work, where we need the revenue. This sure. is kind of where I'm heading. So, so that's a good point. It's it's not something we would be considering lightly, and that's why this is this is the first phase recommendation is to look at setting 50% of that new revenue aside for sewer. I think it's really important to um, remember that. So the way that we try to illustrate this is that there's a certain amount of baseline revenue being generated in this district, right? And then there's, a, there's a, a, a sizable amount of revenue that could not happen without the sewer. So we're, we're proposing earmarking some of that new revenue that can effectively only exist with the sewer to help support it. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, that will be a policy question for the board and for town meeting to consider because you were right, there is an opportunity cost uh, because you could just have all 100% of that go into the general fund and none be used to support future infrastructure. And there are, you're, you're right, we're, we're, we've, we've had a revenue deficit for 11 years. We had a failed override attempt a couple of years ago. Uh, but in order for the town to promote revenue, tax, taxation is our largest source of revenue. Our other sources of revenue are not growing at a rate that keeps up with our expenses. Um, so it, it's a really fine balance and I'm not, I, I hope we're not, I'm not attempting to oversimplify this and say this is a, a, a panacea to our revenue problems because it is not. I, I get it. Um, I, we're, we're, we're in a planning phase. I, I get right. that. I, I'm not, not opposed to it. I mean that road is going to need a tremendous amount of work. It will. Work a ton. Based on, on the growth. That we frankly can't afford out of our existing. Right. So, I, so I get it. I, I don't, I'm not trying to be negative on it. I, nope, I just, sure. I just I think we have some other challenges that I think that we're going to be. Yeah, it, I appreciate the feedback, yeah, and yeah. I think we're going to be vetting a lot of that out as we, with the board too. We'll be having, and we'll have Kamoin in as well it, uh, to speak to this as we kind of crystallize this proposal as we move between now and town meeting. But no, it, it's it's good feedback, and you're right um, that it, it's a real challenge uh, to to kind of meet the dual imperatives of adding uh, you know, diverse housing options that are appropriate uh, for all of our residents. We just heard we're being designated age-friendly community. One of those big drivers there is having smaller, more modest homes like the compact neighborhood for people to move into, while also balancing the fact that more people means more services and that costs more money. So it, it's, it's certainly a, a large challenge um, that we don't intend to shrink from, but it's, it's good feedback that we'll need uh. to keep in mind. And Connor, if I could add, and, and Kamoin talks about this in their, their demographic analysis as, as well, and Vision Easton, when they looked at the demographics, they talked about this, that the population of, of the United States at large, we all know it's aging, um, certainly in Massachusetts and, and in Easton as well, and your younger population is dropping. So. Um, the concern about impact of housing and housing families on the, 
the school system is valid. It looks like over time, though, that the number of school-age children in Easton could drop. And one of the things you want to do, as well as keeping your older residents um, in, in the community that they want to age in, is making sure that you have enough young people coming in to keep your community vibrant. Um, and, and then just, if I could just make one other, you know, this chart shows 50% to offset sewer costs and then 50% for other purposes in, in, you know, deposit to the general fund. And, and that was to the sensitivity that, you know, part of the reason for sewering and trying to grow this area is to generate more revenue for the, mm -hmm. the general fund. Did, um, <clears throat> you talked about that foundry site, is that, is that, going to be an over 55 um, area? No, it will be mixed age. Okay. All right. And the diff fundamentally allows you to get the financing up front, which in theory unlocks the opportunity to get the incremental assessed value that you couldn't get without the project. And, and that's, a, that's a very good point, Tom, that it, it allows you to get where you want to go a little. It can. It can help you get where you want to go with your development sooner than you sure. might be able to if you had to fund those capital costs through bonds and sounds like a delicate well, balance well, one last question so sorry for cleaning services the, um, we're hoping that we could hopefully offset some of the cost of the sewer for, sure. the, for the residents down the stretch so how, how does that work if so you, you do the sewer project everybody's been assessed and they're they're paying it. Mm. The growth wouldn't happen until after this is basically completed because they wouldn't be able to tie in, etc. So, will there be adjustments in people's betterment fees mm -hmm. down down the uh, road? That, that's a good question. It's going to depend a lot on timing. Uh, so that's why we're we're on track to try to bring a, uh, a fully realized diff program to town meeting in May 2019. The sewer will probably just have broke ground at that point, and that project's gonna take through 2020 to, to complete. Betterments won't be voted until uh, the probably end of summer 2020. So that gives us uh, time to uh, vet out what those projected uh, incremental revenues would be uh, and use that to inform uh, the recommendation to the sewer commission in late 2020 for what that betterment would be. If that timing doesn't work out and betterments need to be assessed at a certain uh, level, before uh, certain diff revenues are realized, then I believe one of the things we, we're gonna vet out in this next phase is what um, some sort of abatement would look like if we had to go that route, if that makes sense for, for yeah, both. No, I got it, hold on, okay. okay. There's, a, there's a, a ton of moving pieces. Yeah, no, I, uh, I know you're just in the beginning phases of planning it out, so I, I, I get it. I'm, so you know, yeah, it's, so. A, it's a very good question. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's why it's important to talk about this a number of times. You know, we've we've talked about the diff and explaining what it is, and you know, the part about balancing out how all of this falls into place is the very crucial component at the end. Because one of the things that we've talked about is our targeted areas for economic growth, including the Quisset Commercial District, is to try to help relieve some of the tax burden on the residents because we don't have enough industry in town, yet we don't want to. I, get, I feel the consensus from most people in town is that they don't want this to look like a Foxborough or a Mansfield, you know, and bring in all kinds of huge industry 
that quickly, um, that it should be places that we're following a path from the master plan for the, um, the wastewater um, comprehensive plan. All of these pieces have laid the foundation for where we do this and how we do it. Mm -hmm. um, but we can't lose sight of the fact that some of, you know, those, those prof, the, um, the increase in taxes is going to be to try to help, help all the taxpayers too. No question. One, one last quick question for, for Stephanie. Um, on that uh, foundry site, are they, are they looking to do, well, obviously there's going to be housing, but is there, they're looking to do some sort of a mixed use thing where they're going to have, the, the, just, you know, like commercial stuff? The compact stuff? neighborhood overlay district zoning. Um, yeah. it, it, so I'm going to kind of back up a little bit with a yeah. little history on it. Um, the way it was written is that you could have um, different sub-districts, so to speak, sure. underneath that. Yeah. And some, the planning board is going to continue to look at and determine if there are other areas where a compact neighborhood overlay district would make sense. And some of those might include mixed use. Yeah. They felt for this particular site and um, to help, again, recognizing the sewer was coming, to help kind of spark the growth in the area that it made sense to for this district, um, make it strictly residential. Okay. They will, in one of the other, so I mentioned that the planning board will be looking at additional compact neighborhood overlay districts, um, but they're also going to be looking at that district and, and looking at and considering other zoning that would make sense. And there's certainly prime for other mixed use areas. I mean, you look at some of the parcels that are completely underutilized, whether it's um, because of current zoning requirements, uh, you have vacant buildings, or you have several parcels that are side by side all very unique, different uses, and large areas of, of parking. Um, and if you're trying to move towards a more um, walking-centric community, the idea is that over time, the amount of parking spaces that you need would, would be reduced, and you'd have an opportunity there. So those are the type of things that they'll be looking at as we proceed here. Just to bring up an interconnection that I learned about by being on the center school planning committee or the early elementary school planning committee that both of you actually brought up. I'm sensitive to the, the, the cost in terms of the education for adding children into the community. And through the project, I actually learned the importance of being able to demonstrate steady and or growing uh, needs for your um, child base or your, your elementary and educational needs. Uh, in order for getting the funding for the MSBA for that project. So in other words, if we weren't maintaining the number of kids in our educational system and or if we were declining, sometimes that affects your eligibility for those projects. And so I, in my mind, I always balance the incremental costs with the, also the opportunity because that, that early elementary school funding program is just a, a huge opportunity for us. Not to get into off off topic, but it's really like in the face of the whole concept of smaller classroom sizes too. You know what I mean? With with yeah. it just it's kind of backwards, but I I get I get. Mm -hmm. it's interesting. Well, if you look if if you go on the Department of Education's website and you look over the past ten years, you'll see even with the projects that we've had and the students that have been brought on, we are over a hundred students less, the enrollment has declined over 10 years. Mm -hmm. So we're still 100 students short of where we were 10 years ago. And um, the, 
the thing that people have to look at with the students with the estimate when they come into a particular area is the net amount of new students because a lot of the students are from other parts of Easton. They might move to some of these places or they may have split residences where they live with one parent and then you know the, the address changes um, because they're spending more time at that other uh, address. So we, have, we haven't seen the impacts of that detrimentally um, and I think that getting the money that we've gotten from mitigation has been very helpful. Like you said, Tom, um, we don't get into the MSBA program unless you can show consistency in your, in your school. Mm -hmm. so. Okay, so um, I'm sure we've kind of uh, <laughs> spoiled the recommendation Spoiler at this, this point, uh, particularly since you have the full report. But uh, the first phase uh, feasibility study for the Five Corners DIP program uh, conducted by Camoyne Associates uh, has resulted in Camoyne completing their assessment and recommending that the town create and adopt a DIF district and development program to support the implementation of our vision for Five Corners uh, by leveraging the, some of that incremental new growth made possible <coughs> by the sewer that we will be beginning next spring. Uh, to help pay for a portion of that sewer infrastructure, which is so critical to that area. Uh, that diff revenue could support the Five Corners sewer and uh, possibly reduce betterments for residential and commercial property owners in that district and generate uh, other additional revenue opportunities in the future to support additional infrastructure improvements desired in this area that are identified from kind of a technocratic gap analysis standpoint in that report, but also just from folks who live down there and uh, that we spoke with in the charrette who uh, you know, I, I, one comment I heard was someone say, you know, people think no one lives here. We live here. We want to be able to walk. We want to be able to bike. And, and that's, that is true. That's not coming from me. That's coming from people who live there. So uh, we think it's a good opportunity. We're definitely going to explore it further. Uh, we'll actually be having the uh, kickoff for the second phase tomorrow morning. And uh, we'll be advancing that through uh, the spring. And I think Stephanie has one more slide just to, to yeah. let the board know what the next steps will be. And you will be involved in this. This will be a public process. We'll keep everyone in the loop. And we also, I think, as of like 40 minutes ago, have a website devoted to this. I don't know if anything's on it yet. We'll put tonight's content on it. It's uh, going to be easton.ma.us slash diff. Uh, and we'll keep uh, kind of a living record of all the work we're doing there, much like we do of our sewer site. So, Stephanie, if you wouldn't mind just yeah, closing um, us out and explaining yeah, where and we're going And I'm going to jump forward a little bit on this slide, and then I'll backtrack because I think, David, you brought up a lot of questions that we would anticipate being asked, we, there will be public input sessions and, and public um, information sessions that will be held leading up to town meeting as we move through the process so that people do understand what the DIF is, how it's going to work, and they get an opportunity to ask, ask questions about it and raise any concerns they might have. Um, but beginning tomorrow and then through December, the focus of the effort with Camoyne is going to be establishing the framework and process for creating the DIF plan. A lot of what you need to do, um, we, we're going to be working with Robbie very closely on the parcels that are included in the district, make sure that the preliminary, preliminary list that we gave them is accurate. Um, of the parcels that the assessed values, we know what they are. There's a timing issue when they get finalized um, for the year, and Wendy can talk a little better to, to that than I can. 
Um, and, and then you need to define what are the goals, what are you trying to achieve. The DIFF program itself identifies what it is that you are going to be financing in addition to how much you determine that you want to set aside. But a big part of that is we all know in, in sewer is going to be the number one uh, funding um, project. If you if you think you want sidewalks, you want streetscape improvements, you want other capital investments that you're going to make to occur for that future growth to actually take place, you need to put it or should put it in your program now. Because once it's adopted, any changes that you might want to make to that program will require going back to town meeting. The fact that it's in the program doesn't mean that it has to be funded. But that's, so that's going to be part of the process, defining those goals, defining what goes into the program. Um, and then uh, the cost projections, because you really want to have a good idea of how much that's going to cost, and then again, what the, what the projected revenues could be. Um, <coughs> January, February timeframe, Camoyne expects to be delivering a draft Five Corners Diff District and Development Report for the town to um, be looking at, and they'll be in, and they'll be presenting that to you folks at that time. Um, I talked about the public hearings. We're planning on scheduling those <coughs> in the time frame. That ensures that, that we have something very solid to talk about, but gives plenty of time uh, ahead of the town meeting. And it culminates in um, a presentation, and hopefully a, a, a positive vote if, if that's where everything mm -hmm. ends up at town meeting. <coughs> I'll tell you, I, I applaud the effort in bringing this forth as an opportunity for the town. Stephanie, uh, I implore you to continue to keep doing things like this. I think that the educational aspect is very important and I know it's um, been a relatively longer meeting than perhaps normal tonight, but this is so important. Uh, and just the words themselves, district improvement financing can probably make a lot of the average person kind of have their head spin a little bit and not understand and perhaps not appreciate this opportunity that I think exists for us here. So uh, the website I think would be great, the opportunity to spread the word and help people understand what this opportunity might mean to funding for this important project um, is important. So just really great work. Okay. That, that's all, unless anyone has any additional questions. We'll be, we'll be back with more uh, in the spring, early late, in January, February timeframe. Well, thank you very much. Awesome. You're welcome. And thank, thank you for you. staying so late tonight, Stephanie. Yeah, thank Nicely you. Nicely done, Steph. Okay, um, we don't have any minutes. Um, public participation, town administrator notes. Sure, uh, one more uh, note I would like to make. Um, uh, was informed by the fire chief last week that the town received notice from FEMA uh, that we will be receiving $83,078 in reimbursement funds uh, this year uh, associated with winter storm Nemo from fiscal 13. So there's, a, there's obviously there's a, there's a lag time with the <laughs> federal yeah. reimbursement, but nonetheless, uh, Really happy to hear that. Um, so that's eighty-three thousand dollars coming back to the town. That is uh, basically seventy-five percent of total eligible expenses that we incurred during that uh, really uh, intense uh, winter storm uh, years ago. Um, uh, so I, I 
credit the chief, uh, chief Kevin Partridge, he's the town's emergency manager. He works with FEMA hand in hand to, to make sure that we, we capture as much as possible of uh, these uh, eligible funds. He works with DPW, public, uh, all of our public safety departments, so they, they do a fantastic job and um, they'll be bringing uh, 83,000 back to us. So I, cheers to the fire chief, police it's chief. It's hard for DPW us to director. get that money too, isn't it? We've had trouble. Well, it's it's multi-step, it needs, there needs to be a federal disaster declaration for the county that you're in. So Easton is a northeasternmost uh, municipality in Bristol County, so the damage from storms is kind of uh, um, Average? I think average is the word I'm looking for. Sorry, it's three, three hours. Uh, my brain stops working a little bit. Uh, it, it's spread out over uh, basically an aggregate damage for the whole county. And Bristol County includes a lot of, uh, especially the south coast towns near the water, a little bit warmer. They don't necessarily get hit as hard as we do. Uh, so we, we sometimes have the aggregate for Bristol County is usually not as severe as what Easton faces. So the fire chief does a really great job making sure that every single penny of expense is counted and that every you know, snowflake in town that hit the ground is counted to try and make sure that we're eligible to get as much money back as possible. So, Could I, could I just add on to that? Sure. I want to speak out for one of my colleagues and, um, because Dottie's right. It is not easy to do that if you don't have very accurate record keeping. And um, the fact that the chief was able to secure that means that they've kept very good records of the damages that the town um, incurred as a result of that. I, I know that because we tried to apply for one a few years ago, and, and at that time, the record keeping just wasn't what it seems to be currently. So Thank I think you. the chief deserves some credit. Thank you. That was all for me. Okay, any selectman's notes? I have something. I was fortunate to participate in something called the Turkey Brigade. Uh, it was actually held um, in Foxborough uh, at a charter school, uh, but it was put forth by personal best karate, and I think uh, many people in the town know the job that those folks do. Uh, over 3,400 meals were prepared uh, on Saturday, and they were delivered on Sunday. I know I had the opportunity to uh, take my two little girls, uh, who were nine and six, on the opportunity to deliver those food, and it really started a lot of good conversations. I think it highlights um, a lot of the need that exists in not just our town, but the surrounding towns as well. Um, and that comes on the heel of uh, Thanksgiving. And I just want to express appreciation and thanks to uh, the town, all the department heads, um, all the departments that do so much work, all the teams that, that really just make this town what it is. So just wanted to express that as well, and uh, happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for your efforts on that too. And I know we've had a lot of veteran stuff tonight, but just as a, um, a mention that during the parade last week, um, it was really incredible the amount of people that came out for that. It was a very nice day, but it really means a lot, you know, to the veterans um, and to the townspeople to see so many people come out and show their appreciation. So thanks to everybody that joined in on that. All right. Um, on that note, will we press be going notes. in? Do we have any press notes? Any press notes? Okay. Uh, yes, I, I would. We're going to have the executive session? Not to adjourn to open session. Okay. Please. So um, 
I'd like to make a motion under purpose three of Mass General Law Chapter 30A, subsection 21A, to discuss strategy with respect to collective bargaining or litigation if an open meeting may have a detrimental effect on the bargaining or litigating position of the public body. And the chair so declares to discuss strategy with respect to collective bargaining with Eastern Police Supervisors Association, Eastern Patrol Officers Association, and SPEA Public Safety Dispatchers Unit. So a motion to go into executive session, not to return to open session. And that's a roll call vote. So I'll need a second on that. Second. All right, roll King, call yes. Broussard, yes. Marjorie, yes. Bulgenetti, yes. Mills, yes. Great, thank you, everyone.